The Ron and Fez Show starts right now.
to begin. We are North Americans and Ah, uh, buddies. It's around the Fed show on a Thursday. 866 Ron Zero Fest. 866 Ron Zero Fest. People say to me, hey, what's your phone number? It's 866 Ron Zero Fest. That's it. It's toll free. That's nice. Yeah, isn't it? It's got everybody's name in it. It's got a zero. Uh, Chris Stanley, how you doing with the burnout? <laughs> Heading into vacation. <laughs> Talking crazy and scaring people. I'm totally insane, and I am just heading straight into this thing. Fucking wheels off. I feel batshit. I'm not sleeping. Mm-hmm. I was woken up this morning by my super because there was a giant leak in my bathroom, and now they're breaking well, the wall down. Was it you leaking in your bathroom? <laughs> no, no. I I control my fluids. It's I think it's the people above me. I'm not sure, but there's a fucking construction crew in my bathroom at seven in the morning. So I feel fucking nuts. Mm. I feel like a contractor, so I'm not doing any of the work. More like a foreman. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're doing okay. Uh, hopefully they're not trying to melt a body down with acid or anything like that. I don't know whether it's called melt a body down. I think break down. Because it's like that acid shit just destroys all the tendons until the fucking body becomes goo. Or lie? Is it lie that they throw a body in? Well, it's all different things, but you could have just straight acid. That's probably the best way to get rid of a body, It right? sounds like disintegrate. You would try to disintegrate the body. All right, well, then let me ask you this. Suppose you fell into a vat of acid and died. Did you drown? No. You didn't drown because the acid kills you before before you, you, you know, drowning means you just take it in water and you fucking... Yeah, but it. the last thing you remember, you're underneath the uh, water. That's a fucked up way to go. That actually seems like you're burned alive without even any fire involved. No, I get it. I get, you know, look, everybody's here is correct, except for you're underwater or under acid in this case. Yeah, because acid isn't water. And I would say immediately, put on my death report, drowned. Don't just say burned, because there's no fire here whatsoever. Those would be my last words. I want to get this straight. You sure you're going to get those out before you hit the acid? If I was doggy paddling or just floating oh. on my back and yelling up. Why is doggy paddle the fucking worst part of falling in acid no, for the, you? In the acid, the, the, the swimming in the acid, your skin. Yeah, but I'm not just... swimming hard. I'm just doggy paddling, just keeping my head above board so I can get the fucking word out. I want it, I want it to be known that I drowned. Yeah, but, but at the same time, that your skin's falling off your bones. You know, the other thing I would do is like put some acid in my mouth and just kind of spit it up oh. in the air like a little fountain, you know, or just start a butterfly. Oh. So that, you know, at my memorial, they could say, he went out doing the butterfly in a vat of fucking acid. Baller! Hardcore. I like to be thought of that way. Christ. Well, I don't want to, you know, go that far. I mean, you know, tomorrow is good Friday. Finally. Which makes today a pleasant Thursday. Sure. Pleasant Thursday, everybody. Um... Shrekalov wrote and said that she has a um, gigantic crush on Jim Jeffries. Well, he's a family man now. Lay off, lady. <laughs> Give him a little room here. <laughs> Get off his dirt. Um, 
if anything, if I came out of the asset, yeah. it would probably just be like with green hair, really white skin, and this like crazy smile. That only happens in the comic books. You know, Hicks. Yeah. Oh, I just noticed that you're texting me because I was so late today. I just give me updates. But here's the thing: yeah. two minutes till scum. What does that mean? I'm supposed to jump outside the elevator and start to climb it like a monkey? No, I'm just you know, just updates. I'm a human being. I'm telling you where we are. I'm just making sure everybody knows we're on the same page. Um, Billy in Maryland, you're on the Run Fest show. From Movie Time Cars, it's our own. Uh, and who's on the phone today? That's Popcorn. You know what? Popcorn misses popcorn. his shave today. You don't get to do the shave. Mark, you're on the Ron Fez show. Yeah, Popcorn definitely misses it because he couldn't even spell hydrochloric. Hi. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm a uh, fireman here in South Carolina. I did okay, have a case where at one of the industry's uh, plants <laughs> had a gentleman that fell into a vat of acid. Uh it was nasty. Uh, basically, the coroner's uh, ruling of death was traumatic chemical burns. Uh, but basically, when the body fell in, it just started. Imagining if you see a, a pot roast in boiling water. Why would I? That's a waste of a pot roast. Yeah, <laughs> where the meat is just falling off the bone and the smell and the bubbling. And you can see the grease and fat just floating on top. Oh. And it was... The most disgusting thing you'll ever think of. Um, so he did not turn into the Joker. Oh no, he did not turn into the Joker. Sad. I've been so disappointed. My last thoughts would have just been pure disappointment. Where I thought I was thought I was going to be a, a fucking supervillain, and now I'm like roast beef in a boiling pot of water. It's terrible. Death. Yeah. If he turned into a superhero, it would be the Goo Man. Is there a pleasant death? Is there a death that anyone likes? I'd say uh, just the brain aneurysm, maybe, where it's just where you just drop and it's over. I find that one really disappointing because it's so fast. It still feels like it, you're going to get like a really stabbing pain, even well, yeah, if it's yeah, just yeah. for a half a second. Yeah, you're not. If you, if you're worried about pain, uh -huh. you're going to get some. You can't get around the pain thing, no matter what death you pick. Duh. Yeah, even if you get shot in the fucking head, it's still. Well, how's that different from a brain aneurysm? It probably feels exactly the same. Probably have more of a chance to survive fucking shot. Forget surviving, just the pain of what you're getting. A shot to the head and a brain aneurysm have to feel the same way. Because I've heard from people that they heard a pop go off in their head. Oh, what the fuck! Like their brain sprung a leak. Like an internal fucking pop. Yeah, but it sounded uh, really loud to them. Oh shit. You know, because they just hear this explosion, but inside their brain casing. I feel like it's going to happen to me. I don't want to hear any pops. Well, you think by taking your ponytail out, you're fucking I'm, I'm easing up on your brain a little bit? Letting out some pressure. <laughs> I fucking, seriously, I find this a little uncomfortable. When a man has hair with a long hair like you do, when you uh, take your ponytail out, and then you fluff it a little bit, yeah. like the fucking new Brett girl. It's it's greasy today, you know? I didn't get to take a shower because of the fucking construction. But I know, but going. you're fluffing it up like, hey, look at my pretty hair, everybody. Check it out. And that shit might go down in Budapest. But it doesn't fucking play in Midtown. I'll bring it. I'll bring it all day long. 
Oh, fuck, I don't know if I'm going to deal with any of this. Maybe I'll just have my fucking brain put in some kind of, uh, like a, a glass thing that a robot can carry around for you don't eternity. Wanna, you don't want to have an internal robot body. It's it, external robot body. It's freakish. I mean, it's great if you lose a limb, but to choose to put your brain into a fucking glass casing and, and have a robot run shit for you? Give me flesh. I think blood. the best death you could possibly hope for is when they drop the pellets. The ga gas? Yeah. That's a smell bad, though. And you're fucking just locked in there and everybody's looking at you through that goddamn submarine <laughs> thing that they have. I don't know. You're going to be tasting that nasty-ass gas. They say it's bad if you try to fight it. But who could sit there, strapped in, hear the pellets drop, and then try to take deep breaths? I would just keep snorting. Oh, trying to hit yeah. it all in. And, I'm a, and I would just be like this. Oh, that first one's a fucking bitch, man. <laughs> you know, just like I was having fun with it. Oh, Give me a firing squad. Light me up. Splatter my fucking brains in the back of the wall. Yeah, that would be nice too. But they don't aim for the head, right? It's like a chest shot in the fucking firing squad. And only one person has a bullet. I mean, wouldn't you still, if you saw the firing squad come out, wouldn't you, even in your last moment, be trying to guess? I think it's number four. No. I don't know. Could you even see those guys? I know they put a hood over you. See, I would say, I, I, to me, that would be worth them being shot. Just not seen it coming. Because I would like, if they put the, a hood over me, this is what I'd be doing. And they would be, you know, any last words, I'd just be going like this. Wait, are you guys still there? Huh? <laughs> Don't tell me you're bringing out the old guys from my band. Huh? Did you? I smell a cake. Yeah, they're all, they're always fucking blindfolding. Even, yeah, see, I don't want any part of being blindfolded. It's the, fucking ridiculous. The cartels even fucking blindfold motherfuckers yeah. before they shoot them, which is weird. That's why, why I won't do business with them. Well, th that's the reason. Because nobody wants to see your fucking death eyes roll back in your head. Then they that haunts them. I think that probably sucks out their soul. Yeah, they're just shit. thinking you as a fucking sack of potatoes. Like, oh, I'll just shoot that sack. No big deal. <laughs> just keep yelling out. There's a person in here. <laughs> There's a lot of sauce in this Who fucking... wants to live? Much like you. They don't care. They don't care about life. I think lethal injection is the only one where you don't get the hood. Lethal? Um, Maybe hanging. That seems it's pretty fast. This breaks no. back. No. All right, the hanging part might be fast, but the whole thing of walking up the oh, steps the and, shit. and all that. I don't want to do too much walking before if you know it's coming, because you don't want to stumble or... If I can give anybody any, you know, you'd have nervous gas stomach. Whatever is going to ruin it and make everybody laugh right before they snap your neck. Yeah, like when Saddam fucking got hung, they were having a great time. They put Saddam up in that uh, thing, and uh, he just looked like too nervous for me. <laughs> well, yeah, motherfucker's about to die. Now, uh, since tomorrow is Good Friday, look what they put the Lord through. Not only did he get the cross, which is horrific, he had to march there with everybody yelling shit at him, and then he had to carry the cross. That's fucking rude. Really. It was unbelievably rude. I'd be like, dude, if anything, A, you're carrying the cross, and B, 
You're probably carrying me because I see no reason to take a long walk before I get there. You're already fucking crucifying me. It's good. It's, it's bad enough. But he, by the way, don't blast me by using curse words. But the Lord played it very, very cool. And actually, they said the thing that uh, freaked out the Roman soldiers completely is they nailed him to the cross. And when they put him up, yeah. you know, everybody was waiting for him to break. Mm -hmm. And he just goes like this. Hey, I can see my house from here. Just as a way of saying anything that you do to me doesn't bother me at all. Gangster. Be the son of God. You don't give a fuck. Would you please right, watch stop, it with this? Right, I'll stop. I, I don't understand it. I'll stop. If I had to, like, build my own cross or, like, you had to build your own electric chair or something, well, I'd do such a bad job at it. Well, first of all, you would do it no matter who you were doing it for. But who? no one ever had to build their own cross. There's never been anyone in history that had to nail their own cross together. I'm, and thinking, here's I'm thinking of digging your own grave. Here's the thing that I'm... Uh, that I, I would be upset about is if I had to use somebody else's cross. Because back there, it wasn't just the Lord that they crucified. They used to crucify everybody. I mean, it was just something that took place constantly. And you don't want to get there, and they're, you know, they're putting you into it. You just feel somebody else's sweaty back cross. And there's just, like, dry blood all over it. Why they, would there be blood? Don't they, they nailed the nail. Only one dude ever got nailed, my friend. Only one. What? How do you not know this? I thought everyone got nailed. No, everybody else was tied to the cross. I've never heard this before in my entire life. I You've heard nothing before in I your entire life. I thought everyone got you're nailed. Too busy cursing and catechism. Oh, come on, catechism. No, no one else got nailed but him. Wow. Crucifixion blue for Jesus. <laughs> why why single well, uh, him out? Because he was son of God, king of the Jews. Uh, we should just burn down that Colosseum and just destroy every Roman art artifact we could find. Well, they ended up becoming the church. You know what I mean? They ended up becoming the biggest believers of all. Because they carried around what I consider their Italian shame for so long. That shit is mind-blowing. Um, Tony, you're on the run of show. Hey, how's it going today, guys? Hey, uh, according to a lot of uh, doctors and stuff, they say that the the most painless, peaceful way to die slash commit suicide is the old, you know, garden hose in the tailpipe. Because you basically just drift off to sleep and never wake up. Yeah, but it stinks. So the last thing uh, that anyone remembers is saying, God, it stinks in this garage. It seems too easy. It's, I don't know, but I think someone well, will find it. I think we're going for easy here. <laughs> Go hanging. Um, Steven, you're on the run of Fest show. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? I just want to uh, make you aware, when I listen to your show, I've been listening now for three years. I always keep a uh, Fez power rating, depending on how Fez is doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, it's based on engagement with the rest of the show, emotional level. Um, you know, and obviously quality of content. I just want to let you know, he was at a four, but I moved him up to a five today based on the uh, nailing, making your own cross comment. I thought that was unintentionally funny. So I've got Fez at five today. I just wonder where you, you had him right now. I wonder why you're doing this sick exercise. You would be shocked how many people are interested 
in your mental health. And I don't know why they don't gamble on it. But I have people that go like this that tell me they feel anxiety every day if we get three or four minutes in and they don't hear Fez and they just wonder how long it goes before they hear the over the top. You know what I mean? Weird. And when he thought that Jesus had to build his own cross, like it was a Build-A-Bear, I just let it go. I don't want. I just was like, "Hey!" And then he yelled out, "I'm at dig a grave," which you have to be very uh, careful when you say something blasphemous, not to try to correct it and acting like Jesus even went into a grave because yeah. he didn't. They put him in the cave, right? Yeah, and then he rolled away the stone. That's nice. Yeah. Seems to me the cave thing would be. I mean, how many are you going to find? <laughs> now, out there? I think there's plenty. There's a lot. It's rocky. I mean, here's the weird thing they went from living in the caves not that much long before that to burying people in caves. That would be like us in the future finding out that people were buried in houses. You're like, you got to be kidding me. You could be living in there. Um, Snowy, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah. I've, I've never understood why they call it Good Friday. If I was being crucified on a day, I don't think it'd be a good day at all, would it? Yeah, it's a very good day for everybody. It got everything started. Uh, all right, so they've put up here uh, on the iBank, is there an easy way to die? Um, and there's a guy in the hyp hypoxia altitude death chamber uh and i think what happens there it's that one of those things where you get so high that you don't care whether you live or die you know what i mean oh my god like when you start to live that oxygen lose that oxygen there's a feeling of euphoria and i've heard that before from drowning victims that they brought back that even though their body was like thrashing around in the water because their brain was like kind of shutting down and not getting enough oxygen, they just felt like they were like, Ooh. Yeah. They basically just had like, you're really fucking downed out. You're at a Grateful Dead and you're just letting the hands go up above your head. Sounds perfectly fine. Hey, anyone heard from Kathleen from the Bronx lately? I haven't heard from Kathleen, no. I dropped her a note the other day about a pork sandwich and never heard back. And that normally means she's on the wrong again. Nice. If Bri Bri gets the right assignment, off they go. Well, that's pretty cool. And I know that when it's holiday time, she likes to get herself to the VA. Get a couple in her. Drinks. Um, Dave, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, Ron. Yeah. I thought, I thought Thursday was Eastside Dave's day. Every Thursday. Yeah, he is asked that it be switched to Friday this week. Okay. Already, he's screwing around with his schedule. I <laughs> know. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, he he's coming in to, uh, tomorrow as well as Earl. Okay. All right. I look forward to that. I heard the uh, the quickest way to die is beheading by guillotine, not the Al Qaeda way, but beheading by guillotine. And the best way to die, in my opinion, is why having sex right before you bust a nut. See, I don't know about that because then, then you got the chick has to deal with you, <laughs> dropping ass all over. And, oh, oh no, just jizzing. 
you know. No, it isn't the jizz that she'd be worried no, and about. Pl- mixed in with the. Now, here's what I would worry about a beheading. I would worry that your body would jump up and start running around like when you see a, a chicken do that. Well, they say the head's still alive and like. I remember reading things about death when I was a little kid. Remember how obsessed you were with death? Oh yeah. And they claim that that the the guys would look up. That their it eyes, takes a little time. Their eyes move like it happens so fast. The head fucking rolls over, and like there's still no shit going on in your brain before you, it realizes there's nothing body attached. It's some crazy shit. I wonder too if uh, you could at least ask them. Could you at least reattach me when you bury me? I don't want my head one place and my body the other. I'm so, gonna look stupid. Throw some goddamn staples in there. All right, here's here's the question: If you're Head is cut off and your body's there, right? Yeah. And then they go to different places. Where are you? Are you your head or are you your body? I'd say you're your head. That that would be your real grave. The body. It's I'm going for overall amount of mass. I gotta agree with Watley. You're your head. Because let's I mean <laughs> <laughs> I guess all your knowledge is in your brain and like everything you the brain helped the body move but still your body is like you're still like when you're alive you're made up of your entire body and there's you've got more fucking flesh there's more body in the actual body oh, I get that like if someone kicked you in your, in your leg you could say hey you just kicked me you know what I mean like yeah. that's you you are your head your body you're everything but I'll put it this way if you got your right leg cut off, right? Yeah. Who are you now? You're your the, the right leg's gone. That's just okay. flesh. So if you get the bottom part of your body cut off, who are you? The torso and the and the brain. Okay. And the so at what point now are you separating? <laughs> you know, at a certain point, you have to say. Yeah, the brains run the whole fucking thing. So yeah, the head is should be buried. When they bury a horse, they just bury the head. What are you talking about? Yeah, when when horses like die or whatever, like race horses, I know they fucking they just bury the head. They don't bury the whole horse what? body. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm I've pro- never heard this before. Pretty, I'm pretty. What fucking, do they do with the body? I'm pretty positive. This, well, you told me they just cut off Secretariat's head, buried it, and that was it. I think I, Secretary was like the uh, uh, the one horse they didn't do that to. <laughs> Oh, there's the exception. What was the greatest fucking racehorse? He of was all the time? greatest. Of, some people consider the greatest athlete that ever lived. All right, hold on. I gotta look, I'm looking it up to fucking make sure. So what do they all do right, with okay. the rest of the body? All right. Um, Secretary was mourned by millions and buried at Claiborne Farm, given the rare honor of being buried whole. What? Usually only the head, heart, and hooves. Of a racehorse are buried. This what is a bunch! Right? What a bunch of fucking weirdos! <laughs> uh, cut off the hooves, tear out the heart, <laughs> chop off the head. Uh, what do they do? Burn the rest of it? I guess, or use it for fucking horse meat. I don't know. But you know, the, the only thing they honor is the head, the heart. And <laughs> now I get the fact. Like, let's suppose you're like Wayne Newton, where you the 280 horses, right? You just can't take up that much property. With all those bodies. Like horse graveyard? Yeah. I would cremate the whole thing. I wouldn't just start lopping off no, they cre- heads and hooves. Maybe they want to have something to come back and, and you know, like lay a reef in front of. The secretary got that honor. I wonder if the reef that you would bring in would be that giant lucky horse show. 
How crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, here's Aaron in Albany. You're on the Ron Fest show. Hey, Ronnie B. A million bucks. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I tried the uh, the garden hose and the tailpipe a couple of years ago. Uh, the, the caller who said that's the easiest way to go, that was absolutely horrific. Uh, the new catalytic converters on cars do not produce the carbon uh, monoxide that you need. So, uh, well, did you finally just kick out and said, uh, I can't put up with this? No, no. Uh, I was there for like three hours. Uh, what I did was I rented a uh, uh, like a storage unit and pulled my car into it. And um, my chick uh, saw the charge on the, the, the credit card and, and ended up finding me there. Jesus, she's like a little detective, huh? Yeah, it was pretty stupid and, and pretty crazy. I don't know if it's so stupid. I mean, you came up with a plan. You tried to put it together. You just made one mistake. You left behind your credit card. Yeah, I got uh, cash receipts. Time. Yeah, next time you pay cash. Hey, what have you and I mean, here you are. You got a you got a credit card. You've got a check. You're doing better than most people. What had you pissed off? Uh, I don't know. It was it was just uh, it got bad and and uh, um, I don't know. It seemed like the it seemed like the easiest way to uh, to just kind of check out and leave the life insurance back uh, behind. That's always a nice thing. Else. Yeah, I could get that part. How much life insurance did you have? About six hundred thousand. Yeah, you're never going to put together that kind of money the rest of your life. So your chick would your chick would have been better off. Should have made six hundred G's. Yeah, she should have just waited another twenty minutes. Yeah, and that's what you ought to tell her anytime she bitches about money. Like, oh, you know what? I really wanted to get this thing. Oh, by the way, why we're doing this? Watley is just staring off into space, thinking about the suicide. Yeah. Yeah, just thinking about that moment of I've I've decided to pull the car into the storage center. You can't make it about the guy who actually did it. It had to go back. You had to go into your mind and make it a Fez thing. It freaked me. That's a narcissist. That's a narcissist when he cannot understand the world unless it's happening to him. Well, man, come on. This guy's just talking about fucking... <sighs> All right, Aaron. See, see you, guys. See you, pal. Uh, I actually had a buddy die like that, partying. They went in a garage. Holy it was like a winter, like we were in high school, and one of them was working at a gas station. So they were out driving around, and like in February or something like that, uh, just drinking, whatever. And uh, they fucking f didn't want to go home. They go, oh, let's go over to the place. I got the key. They go in the garage. And they're in there listening to music, drinking, too stupid to know. It's pit and they pass yeah, out drunk. they're just a couple of guys fucking partying. They both fucking pass out. Oh, shit. They wake up dead. Now, here's the weird thing. There's a German Shepherd that was in there. German Shepherd lived. It laid on the floor and was, like, breathing down, like, towards the bottom of the garage door. Because the gas just rose, I guess. Yeah. Oh, man. So this fucking German Shepherd figured out how to beat it. That's fucked up. And uh, they ended up putting the German Shepherd to sleep. Shortly after that? Like, mm -hmm. No. Uh, right there at the funeral. Saying, you do not escape death. Oh, right. No one escapes death. That dog did, though. It did escape death. Not in the long run, my friend. Not in the fucking long run. Matt, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron. Yeah. Yeah, remember when Rich Jenny um, shot himself in his house? Yeah. And Fez took that kind of funny. 
he was talking about it was um it was deployed the way Rich Jenny shot himself, and it wasn't proven that the girlfriend didn't do it. They said maybe she had something to do with it. I don't know. Rich, they said, had some kind of depression and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he was depressed because he just came off that HBO special. Yeah. And everything was going good. Yeah, but also, and I don't want to point any fingers, remember he had that fallout with ONA. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, then. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not blaming anyone. <laughs> But the last time I actually talked to Rich, he was like, what's O&A's problem with me? Whoa. You know I'm funny. I'm on the road again. Um, I thought that I was going to commit suicide last night when the heat fucking ruined all of our winter streak fun. That was so fucking annoying to watch. They suck. They, they, They're the worst fucking team ever. Fucking LeBron hits a fucking... That guy, flagrant, his first flagrant foul in like six years or some shit. He no. came off like a fucking baby. Like a fucking... Like a petulant child. They they didn't want it. They were so tired, they just didn't give a yeah, fuck. Yeah, you're exactly... Chris Bosh just gets a fucking ball stolen from him in the last fucking, what, minute or whatever. When it was... That's like a minute and a half. It was possible. They were down like five or mm -hmm. six. And it was like, all right, they could I just it. had the feeling, though, tonight. You know what I mean? It was bad. And everybody was just giving them that game. It was like, well, this is a gimme. They're going to beat them. <laughs> the San Antonio is going to be a big game. San Antonio must feel like fucking idiots now. <laughs> Who cares whether or not they win? Yeah, really. I forgot we had this. Is this happening now, Fuzz? Yep, in a couple minutes. I forgot all about it. Uh... Really, one of our finest actors, Jeremy Piven, is going to... Hey, make sure he signs that thing for Max. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Piven's going to stop by. Um, I don't know whether we're going to do a, a first responders. We doing a first responders today? I think so, yeah. It's the thinking. Don't you guys have, like, the little producers meeting while I'm in the elevator? Yeah. We producing, we meeting... Well, are we doing the first responders or not? Yes, we are. All right, We're at Jeremy Piven. You got stuff for me? For right now, yeah. What's this all about? That's just one thing. One thing? There's like 90 of them. Yeah, I'm printing out multiple copies just so I have... So I have my hands on it. Well, this uh, new series is called Mr. Selfridge. Selfridge is CD. Did you get the um, the music for it? Yeah, I have the music it's for it. It's pretty cool. So it's like 1908, and this guy more or less started uh, department stores. So it was a guy, this is, uh, you know, based on a true story. Uh, and he left Chicago, went to London. Started this big uh, department store, and it's now on paper. I feel the same way that you're looking right now. Like, I found this fucking series just to be so much fun, really, really kind of fascinating. To the point, I was like, if I could time travel, you know, I'd be so smart because this guy, this is what he he kind of invented shopping and all that kind of shit, right? What? He came up with the phrase for for like regular people. You didn't have department stores. He came up with the phrase two phrases. A he came up with the customers only right, <laughs> and he also came up with only fourteen uh, shopping days left till Christmas. What so genius shit! I know he was way out ahead of his time, and. Uh, 
it's kind of like Boardwalk Empire, but without the murders that take place every once in a while. Uh, so, it's coming up on PBS. This is already a monster hit in England. Uh, nice. Because everybody in the cast is pretty much England, except for Jeremy Piven and uh, and uh, a couple of uh, you know people that play his family. Uh, Steve, you're on the Run Fest show. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, isn't your life insurance nullified if you kill yourself? No, I found that out a couple years ago. It depends on how long you have it. I think uh, a lot of people said it was two years. If you have it for two years, the clause is that if you do yourself, your beneficiary it pays out. Awesome. That's good to know. Um, yeah, I found that out when I was uh, somebody who said they were going to kill themselves for their family's money, and were like, well, you just blew it. Because I had always heard that when I was a kid. But apparently, depression and weird reactions to drugs is so prevalent today that you couldn't do that. Wow. Like, do you ever notice that almost everyone you know who kills themselves is on some kind of drug? Uh, they find, like, at the very least, like... Xanax and like Adderall. It's like it's the very least. Or the Zoloft type of drugs, whatever those things are considered. SSRIs and they're called. Yeah, yeah. those. It, that's yeah. That's usually found in their shit in their blood. Like oh yeah, they were on this, this, and this. Right. So then you're like, well, did the drug not work good enough, or did it go in a different direction? You know, do you blame the drug and the way they were thinking when they were on the drug, or hey, the reason why they're on the drug is that they were suicidal to begin with. I think I, I blame the drug. Wow, you did that without even a lot of pondering. You yeah, just yeah. came out of nowhere with yeah, it, huh? I, I blame the drug. You would be the world's fastest jury. <laughs> Your Honor, we, we don't even need to leave. Yeah. We all just looked at each other, and we blame the drug. It's the drug company. Bring the CEO in. Let's fucking put this asshole on trial. Mm. Bob, you're on the Running Fest show. Bob, Minnesota. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? I'm always good, my friend. Nice. Hey, I discovered a great cigar, buddy. It's called a Cohiba. Yeah, familiar with it. You smoked them? Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Nice. Can I send you a few? Absolutely. We'll give you our address. All right. Thank you, bud. All right. Hold on. Um, Pips, that's it. You jump up and take over. I do not tra chase. You know, I'll tell you something. You've done a lot of shitty things in your life. Oh, God, yeah. But I think bringing Pips in was a good one. <laughs> now, I don't know why you still continue to keep him away from me. I, I didn't realize I was doing that. He's never even at a meeting I'm at. It's true. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> I actually, I've never... Worked with a guy that I've talked to less than I've talked to Pips. But I'm never concerned about Pips. He's on top of his shit. He's like a responsible young guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he uh, he knows he's fucking what he's got to get done. He, uh, he grew up working. Exactly. In the mean streets. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric, you're on the Running Fest show. Hey, Ronnie, um, the reason those antidepressants uh, make you want to kill yourself is that you already have those suicidal thoughts in your head, but all of a sudden you have this medication that makes you have more energy and changes your mood. So along with still having those thoughts, you just go ahead and commit the, that act because you have the energy now. See, the weird thing is light depression actually feels good. 
It's like when you get into the heavy depression, it's not good. But light depression is basically what you did all winter. You know what I mean? Overeat, overdrink, sleep too much. You can have fun, I guess, in a light depression. Or at least you think you're having fun, whatever. But the heavy depression where it's, I feel like it's like a rut and it's just well, like, it's dark. The, the light depression is you've known you've given up, but you still got enough things going on. So that's one of those things. What you do this weekend? Nothing at all. Sat on my couch, watched TV, didn't even get up to go to the bedroom. Just ended up nodding down on the couch. That's a great feeling. That is nice just to just fucking chill out. It's like that feeling of like when your chick leaves you and you, you look around and you still haven't even like brought back the other things that she's, you know what I mean? You just leave things gone. <laughs> like there's just a spot where the TV should be, but you're not like getting another TV or anything. It'll work itself out. Don't worry. I don't know. Maybe she'll be back. <laughs> I don't know. Thing about moving to Florida anyway. I got a buddy down there. He's got his own lawn business. I need a change, you know? I just have to fuck get up. You know, get out of this cold. Go to a place where not everybody knows me. Be a whole new person, really. Live up life like you're supposed to. Why don't you plug a couple things while I walk over and get a cigar to hold on to? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you can uh, check out the March Madness Grace Living Directors Brackets. That's still going on on the iBang.com. Also, Jeremy Piven will be here very shortly. His well, you ran out of live read fast, huh? His new TV show is Mr. Selfridge. The Selfridge of City. And that's going to uh, premieres this Sunday on PBS at 9 p.m. Eastern. And at Jeremy Piven, first responders. Oh, first responders. First responders. We'll have something signed by him. Probably what, like Entourage or something. It's gonna be good. It's a good one. Andy, you're on the Run and Fez show. You know, there's a bunch of us here hooked up to a dialysis. Here's uh, Donald. You're on the Run and Fez show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, I just think that uh, the story for you. A long time ago, we were young. Uh, we were uh, all sitting around catching one one night, watching TV. And my buddy looked over at us. He uh, kept saying, "Boy, I feel funny in my head." We were all kind of laughing, you know. And uh, thinking he was hot. Right, she went to the bathroom and turned around and walked out. It's all over dead. He had a brain aneurysm. Some great friends, huh? Oh, man. You know, uh, I read a book about a guy whose uh, wife, they were young together. Yeah. And uh, she had that brain aneurysm hit, like they were at the breakfast table, dead before she hit the floor. He's like in his early 20s, had just gotten married and everything. Holy fuck. Yeah. No. It's a rough thing because it could happen to anybody at any time. And nothing could be done. It's it's almost like you're born with a little time bomb in your brain. I guess whatever, that, that person's predisposed to have that happen, but they just don't know it because... It's always been there. Yeah. Why would you... Yeah. I guess... Yeah, it's it, nothing that you could find out. That's fucked. No thanks. Well, no one ever says yes, thanks. Um, the book, by the way, somebody just wrote, what's it called? It's Love is a Mixtape, Life and Loss, One Song at a Time. And it's Rob Sheffield. We had him in for another book. But uh, I went back and read this one, too. And uh, it, it could have just happened to, you know, anyone. 
How do you even go on with that shit? You might even have it now. It might happen to you while you're heading over the Atlantic. I don't even. I might not even make it to the actual country. I'll be in the plane, just fucking dead. Terrific book, by the way. And Rob wrote for, uh, I think, still writes for Rolling Stone. Rob's great. Rob Sheffield, Rob Cross. What's that got to do with? It's a lot of good Robs in our lives. Uh, Josh, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, Ronnie. I got to say, one of the probably most peaceful, easiest ways to go, because I've almost been there, is a heroin overdose. Once you stick that needle in, you don't really feel anything. Yeah, but then what if you still have more heroin and you're like, I fucking don't have any, you know what I mean? Like, what a waste. When I did it, because I mean, I was in a real low point in my life. Now no. I've been clean and sober 12 years. <laughs> but um, when I did I can remember someone following me, called the ambulance, blah, blah, you know, they got me in the hospital and they gave me a drug. I don't know what it was to counteract it. And I was so pissed that they counteracted it because you got to think of my head where my head was. Sure. You know, I was mad that they counteracted it because I, I thought it was a waste of the dope. Yeah. You know, I wasn't high anymore. That, and it's so fucked up where your head is. When you're, you're Absolutely. Dope. Now, so you actually did it on purpose. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I, I couldn't kick the habit at the time. I try, I was trying. You know, I was getting sick of everybody saying you need to stop. It was getting, right. getting old. And I figured, hey, this is one way to stop and no one has to deal with it any, anymore, including myself. And, um... And the, the, the fucked up thing is, I still continue to do it for about six months later till I broke my ankle and my dealer would, would stop delivering to me. I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't walk anywhere. I didn't have a car, of course. And my dealer wouldn't deliver to me anymore. Yeah, you know, your low point always isn't like that thing. Like a lot of people, they act like, oh, this one horrible thing happened, so that was it for me. Sometimes it just feels like there's a couple of, you know, skids yeah. after that. You know, a couple yeah. of more times that the that the rock skips. Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. thanks, bro. I'm glad you're doing so good, though, man. It's great. Um, yeah, married with two kids now. Great job, so I'm doing well. Fantastic, my friend. Um, you know, one of the things that most people are talking about on the iBank today is that Phil Mickelson uh, oh. <laughs> shot. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, also... Everybody is crazy about the careful who you draw a dick on. I have to say, I've never fucked around with... Well, one time we had one buddy that used to fuck with, but I never used to write shit on him. I probably did in college. I'm thinking I, I probably did. I never I never had anything written on me, though. Because I was usually the last one up. I, I Make sure I tell you the story about this guy. Okay. Though. It's a very fucking funny one. No, uh, another one that everybody is paying attention to is this really cute one called Doc. And that's um, Michael J. Fox doing another movie, but keeps thinking... He's that, on uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> and he keeps calling the other guy Doc. It's really fucking funny. And um, the Boston mayor finally quit. Menino? And this isn't some kind of Good Friday joke that I'm doing. I didn't know. I don't think anyone would thought that would ever happen. Well, you got to quit sooner or later, right? No, I figured mayor for life. 20-something years, this guy's fucking been there. I know, but, you know, even Leno's heading out. Well, was getting pushed. Well, maybe Menino's getting pushed out. Would not have been fantastic, though, if he would have waited till Monday to announce just to kind of tie it in? <laughs> just to see if I would have the balls to say. 
Got it. It would be great if he died on fucking April Fool's Day. Oh, it makes sense with the world. And O and I would have to be the last possible show that ever said that he died. <laughs> uh, there's some conflicting reports coming in. Um, not sure. That's not confirmed. <laughs> this is completely unconfirmed. Actually, we're not going to say it yet. Let's just say a politician <laughs> may not be feeling well. Maybe they're in the Northeast. Um, Steve, you're on the Run of Face show. Hey, yeah, hey, Ron. Yeah. yeah. You were wrong about that. Uh, the Romans definitely uh, crucified with a nail through the wrist, not the hands. First of all, did you ever even hear me say hand or wrist? I said neither. I said that the other people were not crucified. I never went around. I've heard that other story a million times. Uh, but the other guys were tied up there. All right, we got Jeremy Piven back on the show. Of course, everybody knows him. Uh, and I'm not even going to ask him if Entourage is going to be done again, okay? When it happens, you'll see it. Uh, the news show is out there. It's called Mr. Selfridge, uh, part of the PBS Masterpiece series. Uh, and it's 9 o'clock this Sunday. Make sure you start and watch this too, Chris, so we can talk about it. Let's bring in, oh, and the first responders at Jeremy Piven. Let's bring them in. Mr. Selfridge premieres this Sunday, March 31st, 9 o'clock Eastern on PBS. Yes. And Masterpiece. Jeremy, Masterpiece. Yeah, formerly known as Masterpiece Theater, but now yeah. it's just Masterpiece. And that's it. You're a Masterpiece now. You are now the Masterpiece. You know what? I, I, it's, it's kind of like telling a, a Jewish mother that you become a doctor. <laughs> You're like, like, I finally have some street cred now. It's, um, it's, it's actually, to be honest with you, and there's nothing premeditated about this move, but it's... It's a, it's the a good likely place for me to land after Entourage because it's so completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, well, it's a fascinating man. You know, forget you know the character, the guy's life. There's certain guys that live lives yeah. where they almost rose above their times or pulled their times uh, ahead. And yeah. I think guys are going to love this thing because we love those kind of stories. We love the kind of stories of people who defined their times. Yeah. And he pulled that off. Absolutely. He I mean, he was a he was a a, a, a real American pioneer in every every sense of the word. You have to understand that in 1909 when he went over to London, there really weren't any department stores. I mean, they were tiny and they didn't have any customer service and he had this credo, the customer is always right. And here he was building a huge eight-story building that was basically that looked from the outside like the White House. Mm. 
and the money fell through and he plunged ahead anyway and instead of backing out he doubled his advertising without the money and he made it happen because he willed it to happen right and this is a true story and here we are a hundred years later and it was voted the best department store in the world to this day so it's a, it's a fascinating story and by the way that's just the backdrop right the rest is really all about the, the characters in the world that he inhabits and the fact that he, you know he loved his wife and had an incredible family but he loved to gamble and he loved to be out at night and do his thing so well it's that alpha personality right that the thing is that if you want that great man he's also going to have great appetites so there's a dark side to that and yes. there's a part of it where he even said i don't want to give shit away but he's like you know it's not like i want to be you know what i mean i want this darkness it just happens because i think if you bring so much up to, to anything there's going to be down you know absolutely yeah we we live in in the light and we also have our shadows right so you can't escape you know, no. you get both. Yes, and and with him, it was that duality that that drew me to this character because um, without that, you don't necessarily you don't have compelling characters to watch right. on screen. Then you have and, mythology instead of you know a human story. You yeah, know? yeah, and it, it's interesting um, because in the UK, where listen, I didn't know how this thing would be received. I mean, they are they are no pun intended the kings of period dramas, mm -hmm. right? And um, Downton Abbey and everything in between, Pride and Prejudice, that was written by our writer, um, Andrew Davies. Um, they've been doing it forever. And so I thought, we, you know, I'm going to go over there. I'm an American in the lead in this production. And how are we going to be received? Mm -hmm. And here's what's ironic, is that it was received so well. The reviews were so glowing. We had eight and a half million people a week watching um, for the first season, which is unheard of. Um, for the United States, much less the UK, sure. which is much smaller. And so um, I wasn't expecting that. And I think what's starting to happen here, I've read a couple reviews, and what's so interesting to me is it's hard for people to let go of Ari Gold, which is funny because, yeah. listen, I get that I was in people's living rooms for eight years. Um, as a person, I'm so different from from Ari Gold. So it was such a fun character to put on and and to be this kind of reactive rageaholic that is this fast talking, abrasive Hollywood agent. And you know, it for whatever reason, it's 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 much harder for the few little reviews that I've read here that have come out so far for them to separate the two in the UK. There, there wasn't even a mention of sure. it, even though you know Entourage definitely made its way over there. Um, so it's going to be interesting. There's been a real difference between the people. The people who we make it for have really gravitated towards it, and the the ones that have seen it so far are really digging well, it. Well, so. I, I see. Here's what I think. Number one, in the opening episode, you're in almost every scene, but then after that, you you're the center of the story. But there's all this stuff happened. Yeah. But if you look at it and you fall into the piece, it's almost the beginning of modern times. So you can look at it to follow the character, but just to see the reflection of all the changes that were going on in the beginning of that last century yeah. are so much alike the ones that are going on now. Like, today, this guy would probably run, be running some kind of Amazon.com or whatever. 
Uh, oh, you know, absolutely. He he celebrated modernity. He 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 right. He brought them along, um, and his story is fascinating. He was the first dude. Well, first of all, he kind of invented those enormous department wind department store windows that we see, yeah. where you depict like a play or something, you know. And he, he which was, is still big here in the city, so like Christmas. Huge, it's huge. like a grand I mean, opening. I could go on and on about about the things that he did and celebrated that to this day. They didn't put any of the women's cosmetics anywhere in, in in sight you know in stores and he was the first guy to say no put it in a prominent place right when you walk in right to and this day women are the shoppers not men yeah. women are the ones i mean to this day yeah. all these things that he implemented are still there well there but the funniest thing for me watching this is we run a lot of his stuff because my boss, Scott Greenstein, does the same things of bringing celebrities in, tying yeah. it in for, for you know a short thing to introduce their movie, and they'll have a rate, and and everybody here has to scramble to make that happen, and then on to the next one. So that kind of stuff was so reflected in business, and the fact that you were you know starting marketing in those days, most Wait. of the rules got set back then. Yes, he he was a guy who was ahead of his time in terms of advertising, no doubt, mm -hmm. and like. You said bring celebrities in. He, you know, uh, you'll see in the first season, um, Bellario flies to French Channel. The first guy to do it, he immediately convinces him to put his airplane in the store and the the king and all. I mean, he was doing all of that, and he believed in truth in advertising. So he advertised his ass off, put mm -hmm. all of his money into it, which they didn't do back then, but also believed in the truth of it. So whatever you were seeing actually existed in the store. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's he's a very colorful character ahead of his time. Yeah, way ahead of his time and the fact that this was you got to figure anybody working in those stores wasn't working in the mines or being, you know, a maid for, you know, and have to live in somebody else's house. So careerism was kind of being born at the same time. People yeah. could actually say I'm working someplace and I can work up, and I'm staying out of the rain, and I'm dressing nice, and yeah. suddenly all that stuff was brand new, you know? It, it, well, it also, yes, it was brand new, but it also came from his journey, because he started from nothing, yeah. and um, he was a stock boy, and, and worked his way up, and then finally just took over, so... I think that is also inspiring to his. He makes that he makes that very clear to his coworkers right. that you too can be like him. But listen, beyond all that, to be honest with you, it's it's the it's the the interactions with these characters that mm -hmm. I've fallen in love with. Um, each one of them is so completely different, and there's a lot of fun. It's funny. It's sexy. There's drama that happens, and the cast is just the best cast I've ever seen. I just kind of blown away by them. All British actors. None of them you've probably heard of, mm -hmm. but they're all just brilliant. You know, a lot of stars in the making, and um, they're just they play their roles so perfectly. There isn't a a person that doesn't inhabit the screen that uh, I think it just gets it, they get it totally right. You know, this whole thing, it's interesting that the English people liked it, because I think it was kind of the beginning of the Americanization of the world, too. You know, a guy coming from Chicago, and the class system suddenly doesn't matter. He's helping people move up in the world, where in England that was a lot tougher. So... It was like the first time I think that America started to lead a little bit in terms of business. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to understand, I, I think, yes, he did symbolize that, but he was a trailblazer in the way that 
not only were there no Americans doing what he was doing over there, there was no one else right. doing what he was doing. Um, but also, believe it or not, the idea that you treat customers as guests and that the customer is always right, his right. big credo. And he was the first guy to come up with like sales and bargain basement sales and all that kind of stuff. No one had done any of that stuff. But um, the idea that you treated customers, I guess, just didn't exist anywhere in the UK. And even to this day, it's hard for the Brits to lie. So, whereas <laughs> here, they're just like, listen, we got to put right. on a good face. You know, this is my job. How are you today? Are you good? Can, can I, yeah. What can I do for you? What's going on? Are you all right? You know? mm -hmm. And they just, they would never, they just don't do that. It's just so uncouth to do it over there. So, for them to experience it was was kind of shocking and it was kind of an event to go you also have to understand he was also creating a place where you could go and today it just sounds like a mall but you could go and eat get sure. your hair done all of these different things all at once and it's 1909 mm -hmm. well you know we still some of the same stores macy's is like the marshall fields in chicago yes where you go in there and they probably don't look that different from a hundred years ago, like the products changed, but you know the store itself. I mean, you couldn't build some of these stores today. No, the, you the money would be unbelievable. Yeah, you couldn't. I mean, the, the store that he built, and I'm not making this up, but it, with the pillars, the Selfridges that that is standing to this day, it's beautiful. Um, you, I mean, it's as big as the stock exchange, and mm -hmm. it's just like as as opulent as as anything you've ever seen it's kind of just it's stunning it's a stunning display yeah um he i grew up going to marshall fields sort of my mother and her grand and my mm -hmm. grandmother and you know just even talking to them they really felt like you know there were there were people back in the day that were they you know when you would go into the elevator there was someone manning the elevator right. and they would treat these little kids my mom said they would treat you so well and she just there was places for her to play it was just it was just you looked forward to going to this place yeah. it was an event and that's a lot where different you, than that, Walmart or whatever that we have now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all pared down and everything's in bulk and all that kind of stuff, and it's just completely different now. But you can go to this. The, the great thing about this about this show is like th there is an actual Selfridges. You can mm -hmm. go to this place and see what he started. Uh, the thing too is that you, th I think, as a guy watches this, you'll be thinking like, "What is a life?" You know, because if you want this kind of success, you sacrifice other places there's no doubt about that yeah and it's yeah. very strange uh, at what point you pick of saying what kind of life am i going to have and i guess that happens in acting and there's no possible way that you can have a, a career as long and, and and stayed as busy as you have without giving up stuff Oh yeah, I mean, your truer words have never been spoken. It's true what you just said. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, listen, Harry had a family, and he he did work that um, the duality of 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 being kind of obsessed with work, mm -hmm. and yet you know being a, a family man and a father. Um, but he, you know, I, I don't want to tell you too much about his his life, but it kind of plays out like a Greek tragedy. Mm -hmm. The way the way he starts and the way he ends, or you just won't believe it actually is going to happen. But um, I think he did pay the price for being so driven. Um, you know, I've spent my entire life acting. You know, I've done more movies in years I've been alive, and certainly more TV shows. Um, and now, finally, I'm getting to the point where I'm allowing myself to take a break and, and to find balance, finally, mm -hmm. in my life. And it's much needed. You know, you just hope that it, 
you know, that at some point you'll shake yourself out of it, you know, because ambition can get the best of you. It's really strange how that happens. No matter what happens, you're out of balance, I think, in life. Either you're not giving enough to one area or you're ignoring, or as soon as you feel like you got it good and you'll start spinning the other plates, you find out you got to run back again, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it's a cliche, but it is about figuring out figuring out that balance, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what's the best way to stay present. And only for moments, you know what I mean? You only mm. get moments, you don't get it long term. You brought up the Ari Gold in this, uh, in this country that uh, they won't drop the character and they won't drop Entourage, which is, you know, a great thing, but at the same time, uh, did that surprise you when you just brought up you've done 60 movies or whatever and well, you've done so much stuff? You know, I... You can't be surprised anymore. I think, um, I think there's a compliment somewhere in there that if you, if you play a character well, possibly or authentically mm -hmm. or something like that, that it it has an impact. But um, I know the way I played this character. I know the response that I got. You know, in in their backyard, you know, mm -hmm. and they just embraced it. And so I don't know. I figured like if if the Brits embraced it, and both critically, and if they you know swarm to the show, and it's it's a love show over there, um, it must mean that we're on to something. I think because that to me has as much validity as when we did a show about Hollywood. That Hollywood itself said, "Yeah, right. you guys are kind of getting it right." So. To me, if if you can't drop the Ari Gold of it, then you know, God bless you, and and uh, I hope you do mm -hmm. because this was such a fun journey, and um, you know, um, I had I had so much fun. It was such a great ride, and um, at some point, you'll be missing out if you keep if you keep tying yourself to a preconceived notion of of me as a performer right. or this character. Um, this guy, um, I don't know if you saw the pilot. I saw all 10 episodes. Oh, okay. I, I sat down at first on paper. I kind of might have felt like the critics. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to see the thing department store. Like chips. I just went through all all the episodes like it was chips. I loved it. Yeah, it's it's addicting, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and it gets better and better, right? Yes, it's very, very tense. And the weird thing is I think men and women get something different themselves yeah. out of the show. Yes, you know? without a doubt. Um, you, the reason I asked if you've seen it is, is the guy in public, you've never seen someone smile so much. Mm -hmm. He's always taking the high road. He's, and if that's the antithesis of Ari Gold, Ari Gold ruled with an iron fist and through yeah. intimidation. This guy is a beam of sunshine, you know, at all times, unless he's behind closed doors in which he has his doubts and fears and insecurities and all that. So you have that great duality, but it's a much different guy than Ari Gold. Sure. You know, so... It's um, a different guy. It's a different time. Yes. You know, move a different, on. You a know? different language, different energy, a yeah. different way of, of conducting himself. Uh, yeah, I, I did not... You know, I was able to fall into it. First of all, it looks like there was plenty of money spent on this thing. So you could just look at sets and costumes. Well, here's what's ironic about that, is that... Not only do the Brits work on the highest level in every department, and I was blown away by them, but... You would not believe how much the show costs because you just said it looks like it's really expensive. Yeah, I mean, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's you know, they 
you only you can only shoot 12 hours a day you can't like in the states you can go over 14 16 whatever you can only shoot 12 so they get it done in 12 on the highest level possible every day they make that happen um they don't have the money that we have for for them this was this was a a very big budget for a tv show for Mm -hmm. them here you know let's say it's you know a fourth of the entourage budget and it's an hour and not a half hour so it's really an eighth or whatever, however mm-hmm. you want to slice it up. But it looks like looks this great. It enormous looks yeah. merchant ivory feature. But that's just because you know, every designer, every person in every department is just stepping up. And it means so much to them to get it right that you, you're just working on an incredibly high level. So I was, they had to recreate Selfridges, mm-hmm. basically, um, the interior and, and the exterior. Um and we didn't use the actual store and they just you know combed over every single bit of of footage that they could possibly come across plus you had the real place to to kind of use the model so they've already picked it up for a second season yes. over there which is i know that they don't normally go as long as we do i mean you won't they do never it. do it's it's so eight it is. years there right no yeah no they're, they're not about getting to that magical hundred episodes so they can go into syndication it's just not on their radar uh, and I think that's one of the one of the many variables as to why their level of play is so high, because it's all about quality with mm-hmm. them. And um, you know they you know you look at any Ricky Gervais show you know extras or yeah. The Office or whatever, and you know those shows don't go more than let's say three three seasons because they go until if if the creator feels like I think quality is going to fall off, let's stop. They just stop. They don't try to you know. Let's 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 get Charlie Sheen and do two episodes a week, and we'll do 116 episodes in nine minutes, and we'll go directly into syndication. That mm-hmm. that doesn't exist in their culture. So um, this is incredibly ambitious, and the way that Andrew Davies and the team was like, "No, we I see four seasons here," and that is like unheard of there to say yeah. that. And they marked it out, and the guy's life is just expansive and and, and tragic and beautiful and all. So those they've things. kind of figured out here's the first act. Here each season will be a different part of his life. Yeah, that's fascinating that yeah. they would even do that. Yeah, yeah, they um, they just see it all. Kind of he, maybe that's an homage to Harry because as he did, he went over there and he just wouldn't be stopped. And I think they're doing the same thing. Yeah, and talk about going in the wrong direction. Whoever leaves in those days, Chicago to go to London. You know, I mean, people were still coming over to the New World. Well, he went back the other way. Well, I tell you, I tell you why. Without boring you in terms of Harry's life, he um, because he was really responsible for taking um, Marshall Fields to the next level, and they, you know, paid him handsomely. But he said, "Listen." I would love for it to be Marshall Fields and Selfridges. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we can't do that. I think he wanted his name on the door. And so he thought, okay, well, I'm just going to open up a place in Chicago and I'll battle you and I'll show you what I'm capable of doing because he knew he had a vision. And then he thought, no, I can't do this to Marshall Fields because the guy's my mentor and I, I'm going to go, I'm going to literally you know, set up shop in a whole not, I'm gonna, you know, back then it's not like you're jumping on a plane for ten hours. Right, your I mean, your life changed. You don't taking, see the people you grew up with ever again. You know, and you That's take a, and you take a boat and you travel across that pond and it takes you forever. That's but a commitment. This is to me one of the more interesting things about him. It didn't seem like he was motivated by money. It had to do something more with experience. And like you said, he wanted to be in the center of things. But he didn't seem like a guy who sat around 
and judge the day by how much cash came in. Um, no, no, he didn't. And there are other people for that, obviously. Great mm-hmm. characters like Mr. Crab. Um, Ron Cook is just a, a genius. Just And, uh, you know, so yeah, he, I think he, he wanted to surround himself by passionate, hardworking people and to be at the center of, of bringing you into the next century mm. and, and celebrating people working on their highest level, whoever they were. And he was also fancied himself a performer, you know, and he wasn't, but sure. But, but it was show business still. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, there was a, a bit of show business. About oh, absolutely. It he loved PT Barnum and he, and that, that was his, that was his mentor. And that's why you see him fall for Ellen Love, you know, this brilliant stage actress. Sure. He's so enamored with, with artists. And they treat him, uh, the gossip columns end up treating him like a celebrity after a while. I mean, he has to pay that price as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was kind of the first man-made celebrity because he put himself in all the ads and he really he was there every morning at 9 a.m. to greet all of his customers. So he was incredibly accessible. He was a celebrity who was accessible, which is rare. Uh, the show is starts this Sunday, March 31st. It's Mr. Selfridge on PBS, 9 o'clock Eastern. For more, go to PBS.org. Jeremy, great to see you in here, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for and, watching all 10 episodes, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, I went through it really quick. There's really a lot of you fun. You know, it's the first time that we've ever heard when we, when we give the episodes to people, people come back immediately and go, do you have any more? Yeah, it's it, almost like you know, it's like math. Yeah, it it's really like is. Math. It works on, on on a lot of different things, and uh, yeah. and I never uh, am done with math until it's all gone. Then I'm like, okay, finally, now we can get some sleep. But I'm not going to go to sleep while I still got some. Right. You know, indeed. And you probably that's probably why you like. What are your <laughs> what just before you go? What are your top shows? Uh, that I Bra- watch? Yeah, it's like Breaking Bad or... Yeah, yeah but, but that, but you know, your show also reminded me of Boardwalk Empire more than yes. I see anybody comparing it to because I saw the same kind of thing where somebody isn't necessarily, uh, are driven to change their times and, and change their environment. I thought it, it had more to do with that than it did like a, a Downton Abbey or anything like who, that. Who do you like on Boardwalk Empire in terms of a character? Well, who, I think Nucky is uh, a fascinating guy. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a, a, it's a great character. But don't you think TV has gotten so much uh, stronger lately? There's so many people yeah, doing they, really, really great they shows. Say it's the golden age of television. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's that's also due to the fact that you know writers just want to write right now, and whereas they might have, you know, those writers would be doing film. They're like, listen, I want an opportunity to to get my stuff seen. Let's do TV, so the writing's better. And mm-hmm. then yeah, actors, the the lines are blurred. They're no longer going. Well, if I do TV, I'll be slumming it. Uh, Holly Hunter's doing this thing called Top of the Lake on Sundance that she did out of New Zealand and brought over here. It's fucking great, man. There's just really great stuff happening. Don Cheadle's show, I think, is uh, terrific on HBO. Yes. So many people. Shameless is a, is a great show. So many people are doing great stuff now. Absolutely, man. Thank you for your time. Okay, see you next time coming okay. through, bud. Bye, you guys.
um, my thing is blowing up here that uh, Cheadle's on Showtime, not HBO. It pisses me off because they're my buddies, too. At Jeremy Piven for the first responders. At Jeremy Piven. I do think people are going to dig this thing in a big, big way, especially the Boardwalk Empire type people. But I think guys love that thing of a guy who could take over and make shit happen. Selfridge sounds like the goddamn man of inventing all this department store shit about 100 years ago. Well, you know, sometimes I like to just read business books just for the for the scuzz. And I'm, um, I'm amazed how... Uh, Carney, so much of it is, you know what I mean? Just Carney. And this this show, it reminded me so much of Sirius XM. The whole thing of we booked this guy, can you quick make a, a, a special? Can you make a channel? It was actually, he would probably be running Sirius XM today, you know, or a business like ours. Or just banging out marketing stuff and just getting people in there. Yeah, marketing, but like saying, because today you've got to grab everybody's attention and you know that you can't hold their attention. You know what I mean? Like, you have to, if you get their attention with something today, you need to have another idea to get their attention tomorrow. No matter what business that you're in. And I think uh, certainly you can see that in our business where, okay, Justin Bieber came in to please the kids. Later, Al Gore is going to be in and we're going to do something with him. Because if you walk around our halls, it's nuts sometimes. And sometimes some of the other departments don't even know. That as they're finishing one, that they think this is the big thing of the day. The <laughs> next thing comes in. Yeah. And this show was so much like that. But it's weird. It's almost like that's a metaphor for whatever whatever gig that you're in. Like, no one in the country, I think, can work on any one thing at the same time. you got to be in ten different directions. When you get a project from work now, you're normally getting three or four projects on top of whatever at the else same time. So whenever you're talking to someone and they go, hey, did you take care of that? And they'll say to you, no, because I was doing the other thing. You're like, what, you can't do two fucking things? <laughs> you can only do one thing? You got to be juggling. You got two minds, dude. You got to use them both. Uh, so it's at Jeremy Piven. What do we got signed by him? We have the first complete season of Entourage, signed by Jeremy Piven. All right, that's going to go out right now? That'll go out to the first responders. That's a really, really uh, great thing. By the way, the first Entourage, uh, the Entourage movie has been written. We'll see if it gets made, but they already wrote it. Um, let me see the other one. That, uh... That's nice. That's uh, at Jeremy Piven. For first responders, at Jeremy Piven. You have yourself the first season of Honorage. First season of Honorage. Love it. At Jeremy Piven for the first responders. I didn't stick with Honorage, but those first few seasons I just loved. You didn't stick with it? No, I think I maybe checked out around season five. It's very weird. It's definitely the funny thing about it was always like a young guy's show. Yeah. So the second you start to mature, <laughs> you're like, I don't, uh, I don't know if I like Vince so much, right? And then if you're smart, you move over to Ari. You know what I mean? Because Ari, and he, 
it's weird to hear that you invent a character that almost starts to be blowback on you where people can't leave it alone. But I guess that happens to everybody. Yeah, I'm on a hit show where they become just, to everyone else, they yeah. become that character. Um, you know, in terms of business in this country, did I don't think anyone has stepped up and replaced Steve Jobs as that kind of guy that everybody uh, digs. You know what I mean? Well, Steve Jobs definitely was the guy that like even like everyone just knew. Like just people who have no no have cared nothing about business. Just literally, that was the name you could say, and people would recognize as a guy that just innovated shit. Like the Google guys, even though Google's a really interesting, fun company, no one really follows them. And Bill Gates is pretty retired, except for the work Charity. that he's doing of, of feeding and giving medicine to um, poor people. I think even less people know about Paul Allen. Who is his partner? <laughs> Paul Allen didn't do anything, man. <laughs> that was a Gates, and Paul Allen was, you know what I mean? Like, no. it, it happens that way. There's that movie, like, uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley, that told, like, the story of, yeah. of them, and yeah, Paul Allen was just, like, the friend who was right. fucking with them in Harvard or whatever, but Gates was the genius. Um, and to me, like, I know that, like, a lot of people like Trump and all, but... The I rent apartments does not have the same kind of heat of I'm coming up with a new machine that's going to change the world, you know? That, to me, is the rush. The guy who's actually changing the environment around him. I guess Jobs was the last to do that. I don't know. Zuckerberg? But even though even when that thing went like an IP, IPO or whatever, then it started tanking and everyone's saying Facebook's done or going but down the drain. Here's the the other part of it. Does has Facebook done anything new and interesting? It seems like to me Google is the is the company that keeps changing and you know, keep, what I mean is almost keeping your interest like in a show business way. You almost like that's the thing that I think Steve Jobs got um, that he ran Apple somewhat like Pixar, where like, hey, there's new products that are going to be fun, and this is going to be really cool if you do it. And Facebook to me still seems to be Facebook. It's, it's just Facebook. They don't do anything else. They have Facebook and their ad revenue. Uh, well, Google yesterday, Google Google was all over the place because they gave out the um, the list of people who get Google glasses, and that was like top news everywhere. Like fuck, they just the and list then they're talking about the Google Car coming, yeah, yeah, and car. you know, like if you sat around and looked at Apple early on, like when they first had the computer, you weren't seeing iPod on that list, you know what I mean? Like, you you would have no idea that they would have went in that direction, or a telephone, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, when, before the iPod came out, they were just a computer company, then they became just a fucking MP3 player company, and then the computers came back, because the computers were in the fucking, in the shitter, they were getting killed by Microsoft, and then they, the iPod came out. And that revitalized everything for the entire uh, so company. So to come back to it, there's nobody out there that would write a business book today that everybody would jump on. You know what I mean? Like, we haven't replaced Ch Steve Jobs, or have we? Um, I, I love to get into this with people. If anybody knows somebody out there in business that is so fucking cool and fun. Because here's the thing that you have to do in business now. And this is what goes back to that Selfridge thing. 
A, you have to make it fucking cool for your customers. But B, you also have to make it cool for the people who work for you. Like, they have to be like... Like, right now, if you work for Google, everyone's like, well, that's the shit. You can't beat that job. Yeah. And, of course, that's the way uh, that we think about Apple and Facebook. It would be... In, it's like nothing new. I mean, Ford, I guess, did it at one time in this country. But I don't know... If we've got anybody new that's doing that. Uh, well, he's not new. Branson. He's been around forever. Branson's an interesting thing because um, what would you say he's known for? Virgin Records? I would say. Which isn't anymore. <laughs> I would say travel. I would think the airline more than the records. But he was into the music business long before. And in the airline business, did he do anything really different than before? You know, I know the plane's a little, but the plane itself yeah. hasn't changed. Like the space stuff, I think, is going to be uh, pretty cool. I also wonder if uh, he hasn't made more money in the phones and stuff over there. He's in a lot of different things. But I wonder where the... Um, the real money comes from in his empire. Hey, Rob, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, guys. You, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, modern-day revolutionary business people, what about Richard Branson? Well, we were just talking him. about him. He really is a ton of fun. Uh, and I remember, um, and I can't, well, I think it was you, Fez. You saw him on the street? Saw him on the street, on 57th Street. Look great. And just walking along leisurely by himself. You would think a multi-billionaire would feel the need to have some security around him. Why? Um, you would just... Kidnapping reasons. Someone's gonna snatch him off the street. Someone's gonna, you know, hold him up. Knowing he's a guy with money. But just going down the street, happy as could be. Um... Okay, yeah. yeah, but here's the weird thing about it. What What is it about him that says... I mean, first of all, you walk past billionaires every single day here in Midtown. You just don't know who they are. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So the thing is, is it because he puts himself in his commercials? Is it because he's the face of the thing? Because you probably don't even think of him so much as a business person, but just somebody that you've seen on TV before. The rebel J billionaire. Jason, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, Ronnie, he might not be necessarily doing anything new, but Elon Musk, he's the founder of SpaceX and Tesla Motors. He made all his money uh, being the, the, the founder of PayPal, but once he sold that, then he decided to uh, privatize, privatize space travel. I mean, he's doing all the ex-NASA work. I think that guy's pretty famous. Well, I think it's pretty cool, but don't you think that he still has to hit it before he takes us? You know what I mean? Like, we really do have to get this thing up and running before he takes over that mantle that we're talking about. I saw him on, I saw a 60 Minutes thing on him, and it was like, he put all his money into this. So, like, if one thing fails, like, he's totally fucked. That's really cool. <laughs> I really like that kind of shit, that these guys that... Did not take their money and go out and buy a football team and sit there and watch it every week, but go. And now I'm pushing all my chips into this other thing. Like, who wouldn't want to be the guy who comes up with, like, a different kind of energy source and gets it around the world? You've got to think that's the next big guy. 
you know you'll be a legend for the entire world forever like that well you may simply save the planet if you think about it long term yeah that they would have that guy to look back at um he'll be einstein or whatever he'll be a name that's synonymous with just that everyone would know but it's really strange if some of these guys like um you know who rockefeller is right Everybody knows the name Rockefeller. Yeah. But have you ever uh, heard of um, Flagler, who uh, no. was like in the same exact time, uh, and he had Standard Oil, and he had like I don't think there's anyone left that has the same kind of money that he had in those days, and he put a lot of his money into Florida and trains and stuff. You know when when he checked out. But he isn't remembered the way Rockefeller is, maybe because he didn't name it Flagler Oil. I don't know, but it's always interesting to me. Joe, you're on the Run of Fish show. Yeah, I just want to bring up Mark Cuban. Uh, I just think that, you know, he kind of changed the way we listen to sports across our uh, computer systems, and then he's always in the news, and he's kind of got that uh, essence about him, I guess. Well, Mark Cuban, the thing that I like about Mark Cuban is he has fun where a lot of those guys don't. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know whether, you know, I don't know how what he came up with will be remembered long term. Um, I don't know whether it was like a great marketing deal or great innovation. I don't know much about it. He's probably more known now for his basketball team. He's the Mavericks. Um, but he's a guy that likes to be in a lot of little businesses. Um, He's awesome. And getting them started. Yeah, but it's funny. Why still hustle when you don't need to anymore? <laughs> you know? But I, I, I do think that he's a guy who um, makes it all look like a good time. Clint, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron. Uh, not a glamorous thing, but uh, he sure knows how to put him out there. Is the guy uh, with Dyson for just being an inventor. Well, he's Dyson, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure, but um, I mean, he knows how to put himself out there. The the guy about Dyson, what is the stuff he's done? The vacuum cleaners, he's done the fan. Yeah. Does he have another thing that he's known for like that? Hand dryer. Oh, oh yeah, right. the hand dryer. So most uh, the, the really funny thing about that, none of them were ever thought of as more or less sexy items, and yet he's sold these things. Almost in the same way, like a boutique shop. Almost like it was a watch yeah. or something. It's like if you if you want like a high end, the best shit, get a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Well, he'll, funny, he'll also change the design of everything. His vacuums don't look like other vacuum cleaners. His fans are bladeless, you know. So he'll go out of his way to have the ordinary item that looks really unique. But do you think they're better? I think they're better. I wonder. Uh, I, honestly, like if I had like a bunch of money and I, or, or I was doing well, and I thought I needed a new vacuum cleaner for my new apartment, I'd get a Dyson because I just based I on the, it with the based on the excitement of those commercials. A Dyson ball. Yeah, the hand dryer is definitely better. I don't know. I mean, I've used them all, and I can't say, "Oh my God, this is amazing hand dryer." And they're in most of the hotels and stuff, like the hotel lobby bathrooms in New York and stuff, yeah. or any high-end place. And I'm always going, mm, I still rather would have a fucking paper towel. Yeah, it's better. I mean, I, I, I do think a lot of that stuff goes with, you know, name recognition. And like if people think, 
Oh, they have the new Dyson hand dryer here. We must be doing well for ourselves. <laughs> I don't know if it's any better, though. I got to tell you the truth. And I couldn't tell you about the... Um, um, what the hell is going on with uh, the vacuum cleaner? Um, all right, it's at Jeremy Piven. At Jeremy Piven. Uh, if you'd like to win, uh, sign Jeremy Piven, first season of Entourage. Uh, Karen, you're on the Run of Fez show. Come on. So, um, one of the things I think is really, one of the businesses I think is really innovative is Zappos. I don't know if this has come up yet. Yeah. But, um, Tony, I don't know how to say his last name. Maybe it's Cy. He's Asian. He, he has a cubicle with, like, everybody else in the pen. So, he doesn't have, like, a corner office or anything like that. And one of the things he does that's interesting for training is that, if you have somebody who's not really interested in your business, they'll pay you like two thousand dollars to leave. Yeah. Instead of going through the training. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I've seen that guy. And isn't there like something like fifty or sixty people to every one job? Ninety-seven percent right. of the people that go through it say no. So three percent of people are taking the two grand. Everyone else, take the people that come in, say no. I don't want the fucking cash. I want to work here. But he justifies it by saying how much money it is to have a disgruntled employee who's not going to actually do anything in the man time and the hours and all of that. But he'd rather pay them. I saw have somebody. Yeah, I saw a thing the other day. It was some show where the guy didn't even have an office. The CEO, he just wanders around, and he's got like an iPad and stuff, and he does it. Yeah, he thinks it's better if he's just walking around the place, looking for. You know, using his cell phone. So no one could ever, like, relax and act like, well, the old man's down in his office. <laughs> Finally. Um, here is uh, here's Patrick. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, uh, I'm not sure why I felt so compelled to call in and share this, but about three years ago I had the epiphany, and maybe everyone else knows this, but <laughs> when the hand dryers, or any hand dryer, even the really weak ones, you're supposed to rub your hands together while you do it. You don't just hold them under. And it works a lot better that way. And ever since then now, I prefer a hand dryer to even paper towels. All right. Thank you very much for that. Uh, <laughs> no idea. Yeah. Yeah, you got to rub your hands together, right? Don't you rub them all around? No, I, I just hold them in place. I'm like, come on. And then I flip. I hold them in place, do one side and the other side. Very strange. Uh, Matt, you're on the Run and Fed show. Hey, guys. And yeah. this might sound kind of hack, and it might get disrespected, but I would say Vince McMahon, just because he has his hands in so many different forms of entertainment, with TV shows, movies, music, and, you know, lots. They're, they're in major stores, but he also has major cities buying for his WrestleMania every year, and he's done, he's owned soccer teams and, you know, football leagues, and he, he kind of gets made fun of, but he's the world's greatest promoter because he's constantly changing what he does and it's in so many different forms of entertainment. Well, um, I actually sat uh, next to George Steinbrenner one time, and he told me that Vince McMahon was a genius. He's saying what Vince does from you know, keeping people excited and happy, and when you think about it, about nothing. You know what I mean? Oh, like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Where you go there, and you're watching a play of some kind, you know, kind of an action film, 
I don't know if you could even do that if you were taking, you know, action stars around the country into arenas. You know, he's always just been about the the marketing and the hype. And it's, you know, the it always is interesting to me when a guy builds the thing, gets it running, and then he hits, you know, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, and doesn't lose interest. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because you would think to yourself, why would I want to go back out with a bunch of slub, sweaty wrestlers when I could have someone else do it? You know, when I could just pay somebody to go do it. But he is there himself. He wants to be there. He wants to be a part of it. It's really kind of interesting. Oddly enough, he's his own best performer, too. He's the best in the ring on his roster. Wow. I don't want to sound sad. It does. Do you honestly think that he's the best wrestler in the world? I, I think he's... Uh, when you combine promos, working the stick, and wrestling... He's the best in there. Wow. He's the what? best on the roster. He's better than Cena. Oh, the current roster. Yeah. Would you say this is the best of all time? I would put him top... I would put him top f- three. Wow. Yeah. Holy I would say shit. for actual workers who yes. could do... I would say... Get the whole thing. Flair, <laughs> DiBiase, McMahon would be my top three. Whoa. That's a shocker to me. That is some controversial shit throughout there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you have DiBiase as one of the best of all time. Absolutely. I don't know why they never really gave him the title. I thought it was just kind of a gimmick guy. They gave him a slave. And a cool and a, and a unique belt. It was a valet. Um All right, let's go over here to uh, Chris. You're on the run of Fez show. Hey, Ron. Hey, Fez. Uh, I think his name is Elon Musk. Uh, He's the head of uh, Tesla Motors in California, and I think he's also the head of uh, SpaceX. Yeah, we talked about him earlier. Yeah, yeah, his first first deal was Tesla. Um, Here's Brian. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, guys. In terms of um, in terms of shifting the paradigm, not only once but twice, you got to you got to think of Reed Hastings. I mean. The guy that started Netflix uh, started out basically as a challenger to the, you know, mail mail in discs uh, program with, you know, Blockbuster, and then decided he would be, probably be a whole lot more successful and shifted the whole program over to just streaming, and that's kind of what we're going to now. Here's what I really like your answer to is because when I heard both those ideas, I thought that's stupid. I yeah. remember thinking both of those things were stupid. I thought Twitter was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. Netflix, I was like, wait a minute, I gotta mail this and wait a few days for the thing. I, yeah, I don't want to wait, <laughs> and I don't want to mail it back. Here yeah. I am mailing. And then well, the, the, the DVDs will probably be fucked up. They'll be scratched when we were to watch them. And you know, it was uh, the other really weird thing was uh, I was thinking about Netflix the other day. Um, but I was, uh, the, you know, I was at the point where I'm like, maybe I'll get rid of my fucking cable because what (laughs) I really like to do is just watch a series over a course of a weekend. Like I just did with the Selfridge thing. It's coming. The, The cable companies are in serious fucking trouble. And even like HBO Go. Like that's their app or whatever that you need, like whatever you need your cable service to get the to have the app work on your phone or computer. Uh, they're thinking about just going just web based. 
Like, you, if you, you won't need to have Time Warner or Cablevision or whatever. You can just pay HBO directly for their app and access to their shows. The cable companies have to be scared shitless. Or they have to be trying to figure out how the hell are we going to combat this thing of just everything streaming on different websites of the content providers taking control of their own libraries. Um, here's uh, Steve. You're on the Run of Fez show. Steve, we got you, buddy? Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm uh, I can't hear you, bud. Hey, I'm I'm nominating Mikey for Molly's Cupcakes and the Ronnie D. Well, it's a very interesting thing that Mike came up with of really sexy young girls dancing around delivering the world's most fabulous cupcake um, ripped off of two flavors from Tasty Cakes. It works. Everybody likes young dancing girls. Yeah. Come on. Uh, I got a break here. Yeah. Uh, we've got some stuff to do. We might have this weird documentary. What is the name of it? Room 237. Yeah. That's a bizarre one, huh? Yeah. About The Shining. About what The Shining really meant. All right, we got a break here. We'll come back and take your calls. It... At Jeremy Piven for First Responders. First season of Entourage on the line. First season of Entourage at Jeremy Piven. Uh, always appreciate our first responders. It always helps us uh, get more cool folks in. We'll break. We'll be back. Run Fest. The Run and Fest Show on the Open Anthony Channel. Sirius XM. <laughs> You've been warned. If you're waiting to see... The follow-up to Knocked Up, this is 40, from Judd Apatow. Yes, that's how you pronounce it, Judd Apatow. And you're waiting for it to come out on Netflix or Redbox. Well, my friends, you have a long wait ahead of yourselves. About a month's wait. But you can watch This Is 40 now on demand, and it's available for digital download. This Is 40 on demand digital download a month before Netflix and Redbox. Of course, it stars Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. It's the follow-up to Knocked Up. Of course, you love the other Judd Apatow movies like 40-Year-Old Virgin. So this picks up right after Knocked Up. After uh, years of marriage now, it's Pete and Debbie. They're facing pregnancy, parenthood. Life together, married life, and it all comes out in This Is 40. Great cast in this, along with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, John Lithgow, Megan Fox, Jason Siegel, Melissa McCarthy, Lena Dunham, Graham Parker, and Albert Brooks. This Is 40, the comedy about the challenges and rewards of marriage and parenthood in the modern age. This Is 40. Get it now. Don't wait any longer. On demand and digital download. It's available now, 28 days before Netflix or Redbox. This Is 40 from Judd Apatow.
Wow, does that end uh, abruptly? It's the Ron Fez Show. Uh, on a uh, Thursday, are we at? We're on a Thursday. Mm. Coming up a little later on today, the Unmasked program with... Uh, but uh, a guy who's uh, everything's really blowing up for him. Jim Jeffries, great on ONA today. Oh yeah. Sarah. Again, another one of ONA's comedians that if ONA would have started a production company seven years ago, they would be bigger than Apatow right now. You're running FX. Throw over it. And changing the name to Fix. Uh, there's a, a a five up today. The five. Five, five. Uh, that's an interesting one. Five short films uh, before they were famous. I hadn't even seen uh, a lot of this, most of these things, but uh, a lot of these guys made some of these short films when they were college age or no money, and this is the stuff that actually led to there. I'm working on a short film uh Right now, um, it's turned into a very long film. It's called Fez Hasn't Done Anything in many years in his personal life. We started to document Fez's personal life and yeah, pretty much stopped. It stayed the same. So it stayed the same. There could be the, it could be just called uh, continuity, but um, I don't forget how. Well, I guess we almost stopped shooting after the day he came out. Where we're like, all right, call us when you make the next big move. Yeah, because this is this is the first step, and among the, which should be many. You missed the shooting, though, Fess. Yeah, I mean, Pride Parade shooting was fantastic. That was amazing, being on the float and just be showing the Pride March from that angle. I wish you would have brought that up before the Pride Parade. I forgot about that one. He had fun that day. He had a lovely day. Coke float. Lovely day. Um. Oh, this is kind of uh, interesting. It looks like they renewed uh, Jim Jeffries' show today. That's awesome. Uh, you know, there's a another uh, thing up too, where more of the Navy SEALs that I guess aren't ever supposed to talk about it is. Uh, Oh, man, I just found out a friend of mine died. Jesus. This guy I grew up with. Hep C did not take his meds. Oh, boy. The amount of guys that were um, just like in front of me, like about the, the guys that I would have called the teenagers and stuff, you know, that ended up hanging around when they got older. All that have to say, almost across the board, almost everybody, because no one thought, you know, like one needle was enough for everybody. Yep. Oh, man. My pops got to have to say. Did he? Yeah. Did he get, was he treated for it or? No. Yeah, but he had a bunch of other problems too. You? Me? What, what, what problems I fucking giving him? This shit is fucking rough.
What's going on in your uh, in your world right now? Uh, this is some crazy shit that's been going on for me probably the last week. Uh, what's happening is some, I think a lot of people aren't aware of it is the biggest cyber attack in the it's in the history of the internet is going on right now, slowing down people's internet. If people's internet is slow for any reason, it's because of this. Because the company that hosts the Pirate Bay, the giant website that fucking uh, uh, puts out torrents of illegal um, bootlegs, they're getting into a fight with a place that fights spam across the internet because they're saying this hosting company is just putting out spam. And now they're... Why are they doing it? Uh, to make money, I guess they're spammers who make cash off put, of putting out massive amounts of spam. Does anyone ever react to spam, though? I don't. I don't know. It's, I've it, never answered one. So as read. Re so as a result of this, they're fighting back and forth with uh, DDoS attacks, basically just making shit slow by pinging each other. Um, and it's affected the entire fucking world. This thing is just got blown out of blown out of proportion, and they're just going at each other. And as of right now, I mean, this doesn't look like there's an end in sight of them just destroying each other and everyone else's internet experience. It's kind of crazy. These guys have all of this ability to drop like it feels like a, like an internet nuclear bomb to because uh, they're in like they're in fucking they're Dutch. The people who, and this is is where the all the this beef started, and now in America, I can't hit shit online. At least at my house here, the internet seems okay. I didn't have any problem at my house, and I saw that they when they wrote it's happening right now. I thought that they meant it was like a short thing, and then it would be stopped. Um, but I still can't understand how the whole whole internet would shut down for it. They're moving like three hundred billion bits of data a second. Which is just a ridiculous, massive amount. So, it's going to affect their servers over there, and then it's just going to spread out everywhere else around them. That's how it's going. That's how it's working. Mm, this might surprise you. Yeah. I still don't understand it. <laughs> I still don't understand how that would work. Everything gets used up there, so they're taking resources for everything else around them. So everything's getting sucked in towards this 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 fight to eat up bandwidth so that nothing works. Ugh. Yeah. It's pretty nuts. That's why I just uh, I just mail letters to people. I don't fuck around. You, just straight letters. It's kind of slow, though, to mail a letter. E email. Well, it seems kind of scary that these two companies fighting could shut down the internet for the entire planet. These guys aren't fucking around. I mean, this this weird hosting company that they, 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 they operate out of a bunker in the Dutchland. Deutschland. Deutschland. And they'll host anything. They don't give a fuck. Uh, well, I, I think that their their uh, their website's like we'll host anything but kitty porn. There you go. Everything else, come on in. Just give us money. We'll post it on our servers. Cause I guess in Denmark is that where the Dutch are or Holland. Uh, there's, there, there's the internet laws there. Are just you know, whatever, do whatever the hell you want. We don't care. The uh, with the uh, SEAL Team Six thing going out there. So now it's a completely different story than the interview with the guy who said he was the shooter of taking out Bin Laden. So. 
I don't... Are we... Are we ever going to get the truth? Because, I don't know, it seems like with something that top secret, and of course you don't get to see the photos of the body or anything, should we even know how how terrorists are being taken out? I figure just drones are just dropping the bomb on these guys and just wiping them out. And it's also weird, too, that the story about getting bin Laden has to be made more dramatic. Uh, bin Laden was going for a gun, and he got two rounds in his head as they stopped him as he was getting ready to defend himself. Where the news story is now, he peeked around the corner and got shot. Um, Just the fact that we got him should be dramatic enough without having to embellish anything. But you act like that there's an official truth, and it's the man who shot Liberty Valance. We were just talking about it at the last Unmasked. Everybody's going to remember things differently in the heat of that. I don't necessarily think that makes a cover-up. Uh, did you ever watch the um, Zero Dark Thirty? No, I never saw it. He oh. wasn't holding any gun there. Um, this was to Osama, and they lit him up. You know, it's not like you know everything that happened in, in Hitler's bunker. No, but it's like if what, but if the original interview with the guy with the shooter is ends up not being true, why sell us that story? Oh my, it's that's his story. It's Jessica Lynch all over again. It isn't Jessica Lynch all over again. If five guys ran into a building with you know bullets happening, you're probably going to get five different stories out of it. But they seem completely different. Where one is entered a bedroom and uh, Osama bin Laden was armed and we took him out. This was, we caught him peeking out in a hallway. It, well, it's the same place, right? Yeah. Either he was coming out of a uh, hallway, he had a gun uh, at the time or he didn't. I remember the armed story. It was only a very short amount of time before that one was changed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that one would. But I don't know what this definitive thing that you're looking for. Um, here's John. John, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, guys. Uh, I read the book, uh, No Easy Day, from the SEAL Team member who said that he was on the raid. And SEAL Team 6, from what I've read, is actually separated up into what's called dev groups. It's not just one team. And it was actually a conglomeration of different members of different dev groups. And from what he said, it was actually an easier raid compared to what they've done and compared to what he's described in the book. And from what he said, um, they made their way up to the top floor. Bin Laden stuck his head out. The person at the front of the line just tap, tap, two shots, and that was it. And that's how he was taken out. He had an AK-47 AK on a shelf above his door. It was not loaded. There was two women in there. There was nothing about them putting themselves in front of him or anything. Just he poked his head out the door, tap, tap, and that was it. Yeah, I don't see this as any giant cover-up. It was just, um, you know, s some people are going to remember anything just slightly different. We need to break down, Chris? Yeah, we have to catch up. Okay, uh, coming up, we're going to be talking to... Director uh, Rodney uh, Asher and producer Tim Kirk from uh, Room 237. This comes out 
and select theaters and on video on demand tomorrow, March 29th. For more information and additional screaming, screenings, go to room237movie.com. This is all the different internet theories of what The Shining was actually about. Yeah, it gets pretty wild. Uh, we'll break. We'll be right back. It's Ryan Fess. You're enjoying the Ron and Fez show on Sirius XM's Opie and Anthony channel. More in moments. Yeah. One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you. It's the Ron and Fez show. Uh, tomorrow is going to be an extra uh, fun show. Sorry I'm so weirded out, everybody. I just fucking get so much uh, bad news from back home all the time. So fucked up the way you, uh, when the receipts come in. Um, tomorrow, uh, Earl's going to be here with us. Eastside Dave is going to be here with us. If we don't get Earl to choke Dave, I will view it as a failure. Uh, but we're also going to have the Jim Jeffries on Mass tomorrow, which is kind of cool because they just re-signed him today. His life is um, has really changed in the last couple of years. Uh, if you think back to when ONA started bringing him in... Um, you know, he wasn't even known, really, in America. I remember the first couple of times people just called him the Australian guy. And uh, look at just how great his career is going now. Um, so we'll play that on Mass tomorrow. That should be a lot of fun. Always stay on top of <clears throat> these opportunities. We're going to announce a few more in a little while. Uh, coming up in a few moments, the... Uh, uh, the Room 237 is the film out that is about Stanley Kubrick's uh, film The Shining. And um, the director of that, Rodney Asher, Asher, is it? Asher. And Tim Kirk are going to be here. This is all the different philosophies that people have of the film. There's some wild ones. The, the Native American one is nuts. Moon landing, even crazier. Holocaust. Going through the film, it's it's just it, it's watching it is is crazy because they're using they have they're using footage from The Shining, and you know they had the people talking about talking about like you know, laying out their theories, and I started I started believing it, and, be, and plus because Kubrick. Well, what is there to believe? I mean, there's so many different theories <laughs> that. Uh... Going from one to one, I was like, yeah, that's totally possible. Oh, wait, maybe it's about all of them. Because just Kubrick's famous attention to detail. 
you think mm-hmm. like these people maybe they're seeing something maybe they're seeing something that is totally 100% on point you know i wasn't even the biggest fan of this shining um i thought that the um I thought that like it wasn't even one of my favorite films, and yet this is the one that people seem to obsess on yeah. the most. This in two thousand one, and neither one of those are my my favorite Kubricks. They're probably somewhere, both down towards the bottom. But people cannot get The Shining uh, out of their heads. Um, all right, let's jump into this. It's Room Two Three Seven. Cool thing is you can watch it online on demand. And it's also in theaters, March 29th, room237movie.com. Let's bring them in. Just hearing that music is a state change. Uh, Room 237 is out. Uh, Tim and Rodney, thanks for stopping by. There is something about The Shining that people have never been able to to let go of, have they? It's just something about that film. It's a trap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 33 years later, it's still grabbing people. Why is it, though, you think... You know, I was just bringing this up. It was never even one of my favorite kubrick films if i was making a list of of my favorite kubrick films it would uh be further down the list but i I think it's this in 2001 and probably one of his most talked about yeah well i mean the shining just seems to be a movie that people are drawn back to again and again and again Mm -hmm. even if it's just because the end doesn't quite make sense and you want to go back and right. try to get your head around the implication of that black and white photo at the end. Um, you know, but as you're watching it, there's so many strange choices and so many weird hypnotic moments that you just kind of fall into it and get lost every time. Well, what made you guys uh, make this film? Uh, because the theories out here don't belong to either one of you, right? You're just reporting right. on the different theories. So what ha- what what brought this together, you and the, and the folks who have these theories about The Shining? Well, when I initially saw the film, I wouldn't say it was my favorite either, but it was the film I watched the most over and over and over again. And then when we started looking around, I, I happened to find this very compelling uh, essay online uh, with this really astounding theory about The Shining and its hidden meanings. And I sh- immediately showed it to Rodney. Mm-hmm. We were both huge Kubrick fans. And we started looking around and we found more and more and more and more. And so we were sort of off to the races and making this film, which studies at this point five. We talked to five people who have five very distinct takes on the film. I mean, as soon as you start reading this stuff, it makes the back, the hair on the back of your neck just kind of stand up because 
I mean, The Shining has always seemed like a puzzle that's been difficult to crack. And when these solutions start come together, it's so mm -hmm. exciting. But it's also kind of eerie. A lot of these things I would find really disturbing. And I'd be reading them at two or three in the morning, and it would feel like, you know, I've opened up the book of the Necronomicon and mm -hmm. getting access to this sort of forbidden knowledge. And that was a feeling that was... Um, just very, very exciting. Well, but do me. you think that this is a, a shining obsession, or do these people have a Kubrick obsession? Because the clues seem to be about what goes on in Stanley Kubrick's mind, and I think that's what the people are most obsessed about. Yeah, well, certainly the idea that Kubrick, you know, is a genius in that you have to look at The Shining based on what you know of him and his past work and his own passions and interests and the kind of perfectionist that he is factors a lot into it. Um, but if any one of these theories is correct, then all the other theories have to be incorrect, right? So you're looking at at least 80% <laughs> of these people would be off on the best case scenario? Some of them overlap. Uh, mm -hmm. Bill Blakemore talks about the genocide of the Native Americans. Right. And Jeffrey Cox talks about a broader sense of genocide, generally the Holocaust and uh, the year 1942 um, plays into that and the symbol. The number 42 is repeated throughout the film. But I guess the question also kind of naturally follows from this sort of stuff of whether The Shining is an abstract piece of, of art and everyone is going to see something different, or if it is, you know, some sort of puzzle, some sort of code mm -hmm. that there's only one solution to. And I don't know that, you know, we're, that, you know we were able to definitively answer that question of, of which it was. Nor did you want to, but you put everybody's <laughs> theory out there and you, you played it out. But what surprised me is that you guys had Kubrick's work that you were able to use in your documentary. Was that difficult to pull off for you to be able to use these scenes? Well, right from the beginning, we, know, we knew we didn't want it to be in contact with people that actually worked on the film mm -hmm. or who were speaking for Kubrick. Right. Because this film was really much more about what happens to this film particularly or any work of art when it leaves the hands of the creator, you know? Um, so we didn't have any contact or, or cooperation with the Kubrick estate. It was a very long and involved clearance process, but fortunately I think the film ends up looking a lot like what Rodney originally cut, and so I feel like that's an important important part of, of why it's still visually arresting. Uh, have you heard back from any of uh, Kubrick's family? or Not anyone? directly, though. Um, certainly there was an article in the New York Times yesterday where um, Kubrick's assistant um, didn't agree with a lot of things that he saw in the film. Uh huh. <laughs> well, there's certain people that are. Well, uh, the, I think that there's certain people who think that you're either giving some of these theories too much weight, or you're making fun of people by putting their theories out there. Uh, the film is being talked about quite a bit, which is unusual for a documentary for it to be thrown around this much. But how do you answer either one of those complaints? That are well, it's funny because you would think that those complaints would be mutually exclusive. But, yeah. Um, you know, like the theories about The Shining. <laughs> they mm -hmm. don't seem to be. So for you, part of the fun is the questions more than the answers. The fun is uh, of what happens with a piece of work uh to its audience and then of course the 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 real difference here is i think within this generation are the first people that were able to watch a movie a hundred 
200 times. You wouldn't have been able to do this in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s. Only like from 1980 on could you sit there and decide, I'm going to study this film like it it was a puzzle. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, The Shining itself is really interesting when you try to place it, you know, in the home video revolution because, you know, he actually shot it in a way that was f correctly formatted for television so that you wouldn't have to crop and letterbox it and you wouldn't have to lose the left and the right of the frame. In fact, you restore picture to the top and bottom that you didn't see in the original theatrical um, release, which... You know, we could start talking about aspect ratios and really geek out on it, but like the short version is 2001 always looked terrible on a TV mm -hmm. until the last couple of years when you could put it on a Blu-ray and your beautiful widescreen HD set, but Shining's always worked fine on TV. And that's because he was thinking, okay, there's VCRs now, uh, this piece is going to be watched over and over, why not think about it? Uh, Kubrick is one of those, and I've actually talked to uh, a you know, two different stars of his films who came out for different reasons. And we've talked about some of the theories, the madness, and they said most of that shit he just made up himself. Most of that was just him being a chess player. Um, that if there was this mythology about him, then he'd have to do less with Hollywood-type meetings. Uh, I don't know of any other filmmaker talked about as much as as kubrick is oh god no maybe hitchcock you know maybe. in terms of i don't know if you stop thinking about kubrick while you're watching his film mm -hmm. you know that you're sitting there watching that film thinking about kubrick while you're watching it mm -hmm. and how much of this do you think becomes cult of personality though uh, rather than about work that maybe it's about you know Elvis. It's Elvis-type mythology. Well, and the interesting thing is he's much less a public figure than Hitchcock or mm -hmm. Elvis. So a lot of it's his reputation, but I think one thing a lot of the people that we talk to do, and I think is really interesting, is as much as they put the movie into context with what they know about Kubrick, they put it into context with his other films. And there's a lot to say that he revisits the same themes and some of the same ideas, often to different ends, from film to film to film, so that they are, in a weird way, in sort of dialogue with mm -hmm. each other. And I think the, the the fact that when you are watching a Kubrick film, you are thinking about the filmmaker, you are mm -hmm. thinking about Kubrick, then you're thinking about the choices he's making. And everything you see, you think, it, and because he's also because he's known as this very meticulous filmmaker who would take take after take after take, that everything you see on the screen is something that he put there, and he may have put it there for a reason. And I think that's part of what leads to these interpretations and mm -hmm. this deeper study of his work, and especially The Shining. Well, you know, you even brought up that the fact that he didn't do a lot of interviews and people didn't see him around. In today's world, that even makes him more interesting. The fact that he didn't tweet, or the way that we feel about Steven Spielberg is, well, we know the guy. We feel like we know him, we know where he came from, we know what he thought about his mom. He's, <laughs> uh, he's a personality Kubrick, maybe the thing is that it's somewhat of a, a reflection of us. You know, what I mean, maybe each person views him a little bit different. That's why you get these so many of the different theories that you have in your film. Well, well, absolutely. And I know the people that we talked to, you know, all recognized qualities of themselves within him. Qualities that maybe in his case, that his case, he's sort of perfected. And I know, like while I was working on the film, I was teaching an editing class, so I was thinking a lot about his editing choices in the way that, you know, 
the way that he would edit films and think of him, you know, through that lens and as sort of the most accomplished use of, you know, uh, uh, of that language. And I had that conversation with um, one of the guys, you know, who composed our soundtrack. And he's like, that's funny, because I always think of Kubrick as like the world's greatest music supervisor. And clearly, if you think about the way he's used music over mm -hmm. the years, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, Thus Begs Zarathustra is forevermore going to be known as theme from 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. So everybody has their own <laughs> personal connection with them. Everybody sees them in in the oddest way that they want to. And these were never blockbuster films in a James Cameron type way, right? They were always smaller yeah. films. Well, I think there was the hope that The Shining would be a blockbuster. Yeah. That, you know, after Barry Lyndon, which was, you know, a co which was a period piece costume drama, you know, he went for a splashier horror movie based on a best-selling novel starring, you know, Jack Nicholson. Um, which also maybe makes it interesting that this is the movie that people are focusing on to analyze the deepest for these other kinds of things. And I think actually Eyes Wide Shut was his biggest hit, like at least like on opening weekend. It's weird, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, but also it's a Tom Cruise movie. Right. Uh, each one of these people wanted to work with him when they went off with him, they were there for as long as he wanted them to be they lost opportunities to do other films some people would walk away from the film um, but when you go back and watch some of this footage apparently he terrorized shelly yeah. on this yeah. film they, famously so has she really worked much since then well, was, I think she did. Well, Popeye was afterwards, right? right? Oh, Popeye right. was after that? Yeah, with Altman, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a great comparison of yeah. those two. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, olive oil seems like a, a, a caricature of yeah. some of the other yeah, parts yeah. You know, that she played before. And she had that fairy tale theater yeah. that she hosted oh, for yeah, a long time. Oh, yeah, on Showtime or something, yeah, right? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it was very cool. It's very important to a lot of women I know of a certain age that film. Oh, yeah. that, uh, oh that it series. is? That series, yeah. Yeah, but the lore of how he terrorized her on the, on the set is pretty much yeah. And then apparently just loved Jack, just treated Jack yeah. like it w he was his favorite son, yeah. and everything Shelley did was uh, was wrong. It was very Napoleonic, you know. And You're he, right. And he was studying, you know, to make that Napoleon movie for a long time, and I think there was, it was it might have been some Kubrick interview or something else I saw about Napoleon, about how he would purposely pick favorite pick people around him to either favor or tr or abuse mm -hmm. as a way of keeping everybody <laughs> on their toes. And uh, Matthew Modine was in here, and he was telling me, like, he talked to him every day until he started on his next movie, and Modine never talked to him again. Wow. So even after the film was wow. done, checking in with him, but he would just, you know, leave things behind and pick up his... Uh, next obsession, which again, we're back to talking about Kubrick instead of The Shining itself. Well, I mean, um, but, yeah. but, but, I mean what's kind of perfect about that is, you know, The Shining is a story of obsession, and Room 237 in some way is, mm -hmm. but, you know, Kubrick himself has a reputation of being kind of obsessed. You know, if you ever saw that documentary about, you know, his boxes and the research that he would do and how he would have note cards for every day of Napoleon's life when trying to plot out, you know, his biography. But, um, you know, that's a thread that cuts through all this stuff. Uh, it's uh, Room 237. You're releasing this on demand at the same time. It uh, goes out in theaters. Uh, I saw it in the theater. I would prefer it that way because I love having all this stuff around me. But I think it's great for the people 
where they can't get to some of these theaters to be able to see this at the same time. It's also a fun thing to sit around and think to yourself, are there any other movies that you could play this game with? Do we have a new Kubrick? I mean, are we going to be looking back at Terrence Malick uh, films uh, years from now? Is there anybody else out there like that, do you think? I don't know. I know for Rodney and me, it would be hard to find another filmmaker that we'd want to spend two years, mm -hmm. you know, delving into their work. Within Kubrick's oeuvre, um, Eyes Wide Shut is really a comer. Um, there's right. There's a lot being written about that right now. Um, and a lot, people are f finding a lot of interesting things within that film. Well, and certainly Mulholland Drive has generated, you know, a, a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Not as much as The Shining. Um, right. <laughs> but there's but, but but there's a good amount in that movie. Well, in, I think just David Lynch's work in general, mm -hmm. you know, rewards deeper study you know they're kind of interesting you know polar opposites you know I, th I, I think of David Lynch as someone who's much more open to chance and accident and Kubrick who's much more you know about a steady battle plan although of course you know I've read things about you know doing take after take after take to allow unusual surprises in so right. it could be that there's more similarities um, than it might appear on the surface. Do any of the theories make more sense to you than the other one? Is there anyone that you you got you guys lean back to and go, yeah, this one I think I could run with a little bit? Well, I mean, I get especially excited when they start to overlap. That was insane. Um, that was absolutely... Because <laughs> I'm ready to say bullshit. Uh, time and time again, I'm always ready to say bullshit on it. And yet, I'm like, that. how, how could that go down that way. And if you watch that entire thing, it's juxtaposition after juxtaposition after juxtaposition when, you know, Jack says to Lloyd the bartender, women, you can't live with them, you can't live without them, you see the nude women from room 237 floating into the shot. You know, it's just, <laughs> gives you the chills. Yeah, John Fell Ryan staged a screening of it of the film forwards and backwards at the same times, and I guess they're doing it. At, uh, and now I think that next week in uh, Brooklyn they're going to be doing it again. Is that right? Yeah, I think at the Spectacle Theater, um, and it's amazing. It sounds like it's just a one-off goof, but it really, if you watch the whole film, yeah, it really works. I mean, it works as an entire film. But in a you know, obviously, it's a completely different way yeah. of, uh, you know, when you're saying it works, what the hell does that even mean after a while? Other than keeping you in this very strange state, you what? know, like Dark Side of the Oz did or whatever. Right. Is that what they call that Dark Side of Oz? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that thing's cool. And, and you know, I thought a lot about that. that mm -hmm. Although it's unlikely that, you know, Pink Floyd sat down and created Dark Side of the Moon as an alternate um <laughs> I had one night where I was pretty sure they did, though. To Wizard of Oz. But, but, yeah. you know, but they do line yeah. up, and yeah. it's kind of chilling. And, you know, I think to myself, you know, well, is that a total accident? Or does it say something about maybe the patterns that people fall into? And, you know, people have been telling stories for a long time. And maybe right. there's sort of a natural rhythm that's evolved. And at maybe five minutes in, there's a little complication. At 12 minutes, things turn around. At a half hour, that... You know, you kind of hit bottom or or something like that. Mm -hmm. That frequently enough, those patterns will just kind of enter stuff one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, 
Um, but it also, I think, talks <laughs> about us and what we're willing to do to find patterns. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? We, and this, uh, uh, of course, will piss off some people because you can go out. and uh, This is why, like, a lot of chess players, I think, become mad and mathematicians and physicists because they'll, they'll spend so much time looking for patterns and they start to find things that they're linking together. And I think it can happen to you with this film, but, but it is part of the fun thing about liking art. I mean, you brought up earlier on about abstract painting, and I remember being a kid and people pointing out things that are supposed to be in a painting, and some people being furious about that. And a friend of mine who saw your film uh, with me was really mad about the fact of anyone trying to tell them that this means this. And I think it has to do with each personality. Yeah. You know, no matter who it is. They Some people love to sit around and discuss this stuff. And other people become mad if they think... Uh, it's, it almost feels like trickery to them if he's if he's telling a story on a couple of different levels. You know? Yeah, though, yeah. I mean, clearly people work on multiple levels. Even kids' movies usually have some jokes for the parents. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're working on two levels for two audiences that might get things. And, you know, an artsy horror movie is going to work for at least two different kinds of people. You know, the th the th you know, there's a phrase, you know, that I came across that's kind of a appropriate, which is that, like, the mind is a machine for recognizing patterns. Mm -hmm. Though it's maybe also one for making patterns. And what, in, in the point where this whole thing and we're talking about The Shining in particular starts to get really complicated is it isn't as if these people are analyzing a random object like a cloud formation. What they're looking at is a carefully, a meticulously constructed work of art that has mostly come from a single person's right. <laughs> intelligence. Um, so, I mean, we, we we keep going back to the you know, are, are we projecting something on a random pattern, or are you catching something that was me that was a, a reference that was meant just for you? But you know, people will drop a Star Wars joke into some regular conversations. I've got a bad feeling about this, and people who are into Star Wars will get it. So if you know Stanley Kubrick drops Kipling into the bar scene, people who are familiar with his stuff say, "Oh, he's saying something about colonialism." Right. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> um. I think the thing that he he left behind, Kubrick left behind, is that he didn't want us to totally understand. I mean, obviously, he could have made the most straightforward films that anyone ever wanted to do, but he wanted to make the films in these ways. He wanted to leave it open-ended. And I think one of the, the fun things of, of playing uh, with your film is... When you start to th see that and then go, but why else would that be there? Why <laughs> uh -huh. the hell else uh -huh. is that in the film? Um, Room237.com to check it out. It's getting uh, a terrible lot of, of buzz. And uh, I see Armin White has written something today. <laughs> And it's funny, he comes in and does the show. Oh, yeah? And he just, did he just let us know? Or I would have had him in here with you guys because you oh, would have been scary. Oh, yeah, no, no, you would have had a ball with him, seriously. Yeah, okay. If yeah, you I ever want Huh? Yeah, well, I enjoyed the review. Yeah. Um, well, you know, his re thing is, and I'm going to actually tell him this. His reviews sometimes read like some of the, the pieces that you're talking about. Like um, the Jack and Jill one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, one day we will all sit around and wonder what Armin was up to. But um, 
But I think that is a, a fun thing to do with a, with a documentary. How often do we sit around and 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 talk about documentaries? A lot of times it's like, oh, this is a bad thing. People were starving. I'll fix it if I can. I'll write yeah. the bike. But this is something that you leave. Uh, and and for me, this is a compliment. Uh, probably more confused than you came in. You know. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, The Shining is clearly a puzzle. So I was hoping mm. that in some small way, the two through seven could be a weird kind of puzzle right. itself. And uh, at the end of it, I actually sat there and go, hey, "Why do we watch movies anyway? What are we? <laughs> what are we hoping to get out of this experience?" Uh, thanks so much, guys, and best of luck uh, with it. And uh, I'll see you next time coming through. Well, thanks. Great, great to talk you. to you, Ron. Absolutely. trying to sell getting those guys together with Armin. If you get a chance, um, go over and read his thing, uh, Locked Inside the Kubrick Cult at City Arts. Armin is, um, well, there's only one, that's for sure. And I said, oh, I got. Uh, I should have got you guys together with it. And they looked so frightened, didn't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, I'm like, what? no, I think you're really going to enjoy them. Oh, Armin's great. So when we were walking out, I tried to say... Let's get them together. But that would be like one of my favorite things in the world is getting Armin White together with uh, different filmmakers. With the people he writes about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he actually brings up, uh, without any schooling in visual or literary interpretation, <laughs> the Kubrick cult is less too bizarre fantasizing. I agree with that as well. You know what I mean? Like you are sitting there... Um, and going, did these people make any sense at all? Are they just insane? They could be autistic. Uh, some of the stuff gets really fucking out there. All right, here's another thing that uh, Armin writes. Um, 
they demonstrate um, a current style of cinematic illiteracy that has replaced critical thinking. Fucking shit. Well, it's great because, I mean, <laughs> when I even brought up to those guys, 80% of this would have to be so dead wrong. <laughs> But it's a, it, I thought it was a fun experience to sit there and go, uh, particularly, you know, in some ways, if you watch it at your house, if you watch it on demand, you don't, you could, you know, pause it for a while and think about it, but it will make you want to go back and watch some Kubrick films. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Eastside Dave's coming in tomorrow, who is probably the, the biggest Kubrick fan that we have. Check you know what? Out. I'm going to give you another one. I think the master... Is going to be one of those things that people keep going back to, and the director that we had on um, Shane Crute. Yeah, is, from Primer and Upstream Color. Upstream Color is, um, and does that open this weekend as well, or that opens the end of next week, in at the IFC Center. And I also is going to be a video on demand. On in May, it's going to be video on demand. When we get back into that, we'll have. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see that guaranteed. I just rewatched Primer. You guaranteed that you were going to watch um, Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers. Well, which, by the way, is one of the worst titles I think. It's the. I was drunk when I made that guarantee, but I will see it eventually. Well, then you know what? If you can use drinking as a uh, as an excuse, then you never have to pay off anything. Oh. I do still want to see it. Maybe I don't know. But the room two thirty two three seven. I'm so fucked up. I just text back this the stupidest shit I've ever wrote, and I don't know whether you can go back and fix a um, sympathy text. Do you go back and explain? I think you could. Oh, I feel embarrassed, though. Via text, it's fine. It, when people are grieving. You know, who knows if they've been on the phone with family, and I'm going to write back, hey, that last text read a little nutty because I'm on the air and in shock, but... They don't understand. That would be fine. I think glad to get uh, any text. That doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. To write back and say, I want to fix the text that I wrote. I was grammatically incorrect. No, I'm not going to do that. You two fucking narcissistic sociopaths. Well, I'll take sociopath. I wouldn't say I'm a narcissist. I would agree with that. (laughs) You're just a sociopath. I don't actually. I'm not too sure if I uh, if I know anyone who isn't a sociopath. I don't know whether you can be in this business and not be one. I know. That's why we consider it normal. We're always like, yeah, he fucking freaked out, lit his studio on fire. He had enough of their shit. Why? That's weird. That's out of that's out of fucking ordinary. Fez, could you just take that other thing and fucking the LA thing and fix it for me, so I don't have to fucking keep thinking of everything at the same time? Yeah, I'll do that. When? Yeah, it doesn't mean anything to me unless you show me a track record. 
maybe I should go back home. And when I say that, I mean go back into the past and try to fucking fix my life the correct way and fix everyone around me. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fucking time travel. Do you have a time machine? Not yet. I'm working on a couple things, though. I figured if I was uh, the time machine, I'd probably go back and kill your grandparents. What the fuck? Why? To To fucking erase me out of fucking time? Wouldn't it have been nicer when you think about it? No, I'd rather exist even in fucking crazy weirdness. Do you have to kill both of them to make him not exist? No, you have to. Actually, you don't even have to kill each other, anyone. You just make sure they don't meet. No. But in a way, all right, let's suppose this. Let's suppose I went back in time, made sure your grandparents didn't meet, right? Right. I come back here. Did I murder you? In a way, didn't I kill you? Yeah, you stopped my existence. You terminated him. Well, I didn't stop your existence because you did exist. But I no longer exist because of your actions. That's what I'm saying. That would be a murder. That's a lot different than stop your existence. But you would still exist. Just not in this reality anymore. You'd be gone. I guess the uh, new alternate timeline will have fucking been created. Well, even beyond the alternate timeline, uh, you would just say that one that he exists and still did exist. So just because someone stops existing doesn't mean that they... It wouldn't be any different than any other death. You know what I mean? Like, could you look back and say a guy uh, who died in the 1300s who... Was just, I don't know, like a fucking stone worker or something. Really didn't meet too many other people. That life didn't have any validity. But to him, it had all the validity that there was. It's not going to make any mark on history. Nothing. But he did exist. Even if he didn't meet other people or react much. Yeah. So Fez would exist, but he would no longer exist. All right. Let's say you went back in time. Made sure my grandparents didn't meet. My grandfather met someone else. All I'd have to do is throw biscuits on the floor, (laughs) and they'd fucking follow it. They were hungry in Newfoundland. Go ahead. My grandfather meets someone else. My grandmother meets somebody else. They still each have grandchildren. Am I either of those grandchildren? No. No. At least half or or a quarter, I guess. Are you your brother? No. That's exactly how much you would be related to them. You would have nothing more in common with them than you do your brother. Why would you think that was you? Well, because it would still be, you know, my grandfather would still have a son, and then they, and he would have a son. So there's part of that in that being that was that, still part of me. So you're saying my existence? How do you figure that? Is your brother you? No, this would be no different. Uh, a your sperm and that egg would not connect. And that's what ends up being you. Some other sperm and some other connect, and that's your brother or your cousin or your sister. How are you confusing and thinking that that's you? It, uh, well, it almost seemed like if you're spl- like you're splitting up two parts of me, and I could there end up in no two different you. people. There's no you. That's not two parts of you. How come you don't look at your thing about parts? All the same parts were into your brother. How do you not see your brother as you then? Well, he's not me. 
That's that's the same relation that you would. It was that's actually even a closer relation than you would have to that other thing. There's no connection of you there. I think I was still just trying to figure out a way to exist. I feel like I'm showing a Kubrick film to a fucking hound dog by the look I see on your face. Nah, man, it ain't gonna happen. That's not you. It's you know like. We're all we're all we're all, we're all created because of that one that moment of when the parents fucking created you. Would you let's suppose you wanted to kill Fez, right? Okay. Would you kill his uh, grandparents or his parents? Killing the grandparents seems more like solid. I think this wife out. Okay. Though it's unduly punishing the parents, but you know, wipe Whatever. them all, wipe them all out. Yeah, and this way, you're also killing his brothers and sisters <laughs> and their kids. Oh, yeah. And then changing the lives of anyone that they've ever touched before. That's just fucking tearing up a timeline. Um, Brad, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, buddies. Yeah. All right, and if Fez doesn't exist in another timeline, in the new timeline, but he did in the old timeline, the grandparents would then go on to have generations. Would Fez be related to the next generation or the altered generation? Well, really, I guess he's not related because he stopped existing. I'm not around to be related to them. Although he claims that they are him or half hims. What the fuck? I tell you this, if I went back to kill Fez's grandparents, right? Yeah. I'd also uh, rape his grandmother first in front of his grandfather. Jesus Christ. Why? Now you knew my grandmother. Meanness. Just pure meanness. Just to get a rape out? <laughs> um, it was almost like you gave me the setup and somebody else came running through. And it was like a volleyball court. You set me up for the spike, but someone came running through with a pitcher of Kool-Aid and fell in the sand in front of us. Um, here's uh, Andre. You're on the Ron Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. So what you're saying now is the night that you were conceived, if your parents decided not to have sex that night and waited, Two more nights. You wouldn't be Ron. You would be somebody totally different. Right? I, w I wouldn't be somebody totally different. Someone totally different would exist. Wow. But why it's you say, well, you know you're not your brother. <laughs> you know you're not your sister. I know, but it, it's freaky, though. It, it, <laughs> the odds of you being born are such a long shot. And here's the weirdest thing about it. How much time do we act like, I'm bored. This place blows. When you shouldn't even exist in the first place. Um, here's uh, Oscar. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. You're exactly right. If your dad, I think if he would have nutted like at different seconds, like at the beginning, or if he's a quick or slow. Any other sperm not, makes it. Any other exactly. one of those millions of sperm gets in. If you could just fuck up the sperm fucking wow. line. Yeah. Then just, um, just go yeah. back in time and scare him or something. Or fucking knock on the door. Boom. You don't exist no more. 
Um, exactly. Poof. Uh, Alan, you're on the Run of Face show. Let's take it a step further and see what it would happen if you conspirators got together and killed old Fezzi's parents. What if I went back and saved them by killing your grandparents? All right, this is a great fucking scenario. So Did you pop back in? Yeah. So, but would it would it even be like a movie race against time where you had to kill my grandparents? Be by the way, good luck killing my grandfather or my grandma for that matter, because <laughs> they were loaded for bail. Um, but you would. It would be the now. Here's the weird thing. Like in the Terminator, he went back to 1970s to kill the girl, right? Yeah. Wouldn't it have been smarter to send him back to like 1400s? You know what I mean? Way back when it would have been totally easy. There's no guns around, nothing. The, the machines were very short-sighted. Yeah. Why are they battling in this thing? Because... People wouldn't have been able to figure that out at all. Just go over and fucking choke them out on Plymouth Rock <laughs> and then get the hell out of there. Oh, those pilgrims would be freaked out by a robot. Um, they probably just worship it. Damn, probably. They fucking worshipped everything. Bunch of idiots. Hey, there be, if, if it went back to the Plumber Five times, there'd be no way to kill the Terminator. What, a, a pellet gun? A fucking uh, goddamn... Yeah, they wouldn't have stand a chance. They're going <laughs> to hit him with a fucking bow and arrow or... <laughs> kill everyone. It would wipe out the human race, probably. Yeah, you want to get rid of the human race anyway, don't you? Um, but if I was a pilgrim, yeah. I'd go out and get myself a red coat. Just so I fucking stood out a little bit. Just so the other pilgrims would be like, wow. That's a fucking hot-ass coat, dude. Where'd you get it from? We're also gray all the time. Gray? I thought they were black. Maybe. Yeah, I guess it is. They had a black hat. Yeah, they had black hats. And why the belt buckle on their fucking hat? They need to tighten up their fucking hat every once in a while? It's windy. It's windy in the new world. Um, yeah, John wants to give us a rebuttal. Go ahead, buddy. I just want to let you know why uh, the guy who called a little earlier's plan wouldn't work. If you were to kill Fez's grandparents or parents, then he goes back and kills your grandparents or parents. He wouldn't have any motivation because Fez would never have existed to motivate him to go kill your parents or grandparents. Oh, shit. Wow, it's a mindfuck. The only way it would work is that we left at the same time. Right? So you had two time travelers go back to kill two, let's say, two different leaders. You know, like a leader of China and a leader of America. Their great-great-grandparents. Whoever gets there first would end up fixing things for their side. Yeah, well, they'd have to leave at the same time. about that has got me all fucked up now. You just twisted it back. Yeah. So I'm going to up and listen. Mind fuck. Call me back later when you figure out this. We're coming up with the greatest science fiction movie ever written. Uh, we're calling it Fuck Me. No, fuck you. And your great-grandparents. So one of the final scenes would be the person that didn't get to the assassination first. Probably getting ready to commit the assassination and then just disappearing. Uh, Fred, you're on the Run of Fest show. Well, the reason why the 
Terminator only went back to the 70s is because the computer was only reading the things that were already on the computer. It wasn't reading anything that was written down on the paper. They had to put it in the computer first. Dude, everything's in the fucking computer now already. It's a digital age. Yeah. I mean, the goddamn Bible's in the computer. And that thing was around a long time before the Bible. That, that guy's singing like a fucking analog man. He's just an analog <laughs> man. By the way, that's going to be the theme of our goddamn side. <laughs> oh. I can't wait for this thing. It's going to be a blockbuster. Everybody loves a time travel movie. So far, everything we've done is a blockbuster. And I'm fucking going to blow people's minds by our first film. Yeah. Is going to be a reboot of a film that never existed. Holy shit. A reimagination. This is a cockbuster. Yeah. It's going to be a prequel to a reboot that never existed. That's like time travel in and of itself. And uh, the first opening scene, yeah. the actor will just come walking out, turn, stick his face up to the camera, and go, you motherfuckers are about to get mine fucked. Good, let them know what they're in for. Yeah, so I'm not going to be one of these scenes that fucking tries to act like it's going to sneak up on you. No, that doesn't happen. Um, here's Doug, you're on the Run of Fez show. Dougie. Hey, hey, Ronnie, how's it going? Yeah. Hey, man, if if the Terminator went back to, like you're saying, if they went back to kill the Pilgrims, then wouldn't they jeopardize their own existence? Oh, you know yeah, because I mean? since the Pilgrims invented the computer. Shit. Well, you know, like one of their fucking ancestors. No, so you've really come up, you've actually got a good point that they wouldn't know where it would start. Perhaps you could kill somebody whose ancestors would have had something to do with this or that. Time travel could never fucking exist, because if it did, you couldn't go that far back in the time, because if you just interrupt anything, if you... No, I got it, one for you, though. Right. I got something I'm going to do. Okay. I'm going to be a time traveler. Yeah. I'm going to go back in time, see David, uh, like baby David Bowie. Okay. And I'll come walking up on him and just go like this. You are going to be awesome and then i'd leave and it would just give them that confidence that they needed but still what if you run into someone that creates another baby that needs to be born like it's just too dangerous i'll kill him but that I'll makes kill him in his tracks that makes it that much worse hi are you um baby david bowie oh you're calling yourself david jones now okay i just wanted to tell you before i get out of here you're gonna be awesome don't let anybody fuck with you. And keep, like, changing your shit you, all the yo, time. Yo, you can't fucking... He has to come in that naturally. You can't, you like, can't put that in his When head. you get the glam rock thing down, no. go soul. No. When that happens, go weird in Berlin. Get all junkied up. Do it. Just, you just, think of it. Don't let me fuck with you. you see, that this doing that to little David Bowie is going to fuck him up. I just want to just say one thing before I leave. Ground control to my zone. No. Or if I go back and see baby Robert Zimmerman, little Bob Dylan, yeah. I go, is that your mama? <laughs> no, Could no, this no. really be the end? See, this is this is affecting the past. Are you playing with your mobile? He might never. And your baby crib again? No. As much as this seems like a good idea, it's it's fucking butterfly effect. 
Flock Butterfly Flock. Um, Joey, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, guys. Uh, you really got to uh, tone down the ideas on the radio. You know E-Rock is sitting by his right now. Good. Stealing every one of these ideas. Look, here's the thing. I just wanted to be done. I just wanted to get done. I don't need all the fucking glam. No, I'm taking a copy of the show and e- and mailing it to ourselves, and then it'll be Why? the copyright. Why? It'll be the copyright. Why so not let's... just the fact that it exists? Do we still have to do the old 1960s mailing it to yourself? Yes. Hi, are you baby John Lennon? Oh, no. You're going to be fucking awesome. Oh, one thing. Don't move to New York. Bang, bang time. It, it, in theory, it's good to try to save John Lennon. But you don't know what's going to happen to everyone else. Around. Yeah, because if John Lennon was saved, maybe then he'd end up blowing up the world. You're a fucking pessimist. I just, no. I respect time travel. And we can't Do be sending people back into the past. It'll fuck too many things up. What if I told you I was here from the future? What the fuck? Do not fly to Budapest. Oh, Please. No. I'd listen to that. I'm supposed to go tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Sound good. Um, Steve, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, isn't the fact that Fez is alive right now proof that you didn't go back and kill his grandparents? It, it does represent my failure of all my plans. Christ, I wonder what happens back in the past to stop you. I'll go back and try to save Jesus with a machine gun. Follow me. <laughs> Take down a whole Roman legion. (laughs) No! This was a plan! Follow me, Jesus! I have to stay here! That would make that Bible miniseries much more exciting. I would save him, and then there would be no church, because nobody... It's just the opposite of going back and killing someone. If you went back and saved him... It ruins everything. Yeah, it would change the church. Man, they come back and there's some other weird fucking religion that popped up. I guess it would be Judaism would then dumb, right? No, because the Jews don't want anybody else to join. They don't have any uh, you're on, missionaries. You're, you're thinking of a word, aren't you? No. We got a break. Uh, when we come back, let's do um, uh, our March Madness for film directors. Nice. Too bad Kubrick's not alive. I'd have to vote for him now. Um. All right, we'll break here. We'll be back and talk about uh, some of the best film directors that are up in our list. You can play over on the iBang. It's a Ron Fez show. Ron Bennington. Right. All right. Fez Wally. Yeah. This is the, the Ron and Fez show. Dollar Shave Club from dollarshaveclub.com. Become a member today because you're always going to have a great shave. You're always going to have plenty of razors available, and you're going to make sure you get a clean shave each and every time by joining up with Dollar Shave Club. It's better than joining any other club in the United States. Go to dollarshaveclub.com. For a couple bucks a month, you get razors sent to your home each and every month. You never run out again. And like I said, it's just a couple bucks a month. They also have different packages you could choose from. But everything's so much more affordable than spending $40, $50 a month and running out to the drugstore to buy the name brands. You're going to get gouged that way. It's dollarshaveclub.com. A good, clean shave every time from dollarshaveclub.com, dollarshaveclub.com. I'm on my time with everyone I have 
of the day I think you might be familiar with them a little band called Nirvana I know them yeah they come from a little town called Starbucks Starbucks Washington Seattle hmm Seattle Washington well they had that Starbucks sound <laughs> Not at all. See out, see out, see out. Now I'm gargling washing. Starbucks is more an easy listening type sound. Well, they both come from Seattle, so I consider them both. I always go like this. Can I have a um, grunge cafe? Really? And if that's medium, oh my God. Get a trough of coffee. <laughs> I see uh, Bloomberg is just sitting there crying. <laughs> too much. It's too much for everyone. People have too many choices. It's too large. Everybody is too much sugar. I'll go have another Seder. Hey, come on, dude. You just went too far with it. What, what too far? Well, it's suddenly we're making thing. fun of Bloomberg for being on people, and you got anti Semitic. And I don't play that. Go have another Seder? Yeah. Instead of worrying about giant sugary drinks, have a nice meal. And don't worry about pe people's you know, rights. Oh, now that you're explaining it, See, that still sounds anti-Semitic. Uh, then I apologize. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, it's the Ron and Faye Show. Um, we actually got to get out of here soon because we're going to do the Unmasked program. Uh, which we're going to play probably tomorrow, right? On Friday? Yep. I just heard yup. So either a cowboy just came in here, or I am 100% correct. Hey! My name's Chris Stanley in Budapest! It's a good uh, tune. Dave did not come in today for Every Thursday Dave. Because he's going to be here tomorrow. He switched his days up this yeah. week. Already. 
It's a little hard. Um, and he's going to be in here with Earl tomorrow. I didn't even tell Earl Dave's coming in. <laughs> Good. I didn't know Dave was going to be here. When he shows up at 1230, when I said, be here, ASAP, start the show early. Somebody told me that um, how great Earl is doing at Hard Rock. And I said, well, what's he doing so great? And he goes, like, he'll go over to people's t- um, table and ask them trivia questions. That, that's I would tough. hate that personally. If someone, if I'm at my table eating a burger and someone comes over and asks me, I don't, can you name the first drummer for the Beatles? Especially if it's Earl. Yeah, it's Pete Best. Now get out of here, would you please? I'm trying to swallow. You know, you're gonna, you made it to the second round. There's two rounds? Oh, there's multiple rounds. Like He'll stay at the one table for a while if you keep getting them right. I believe with each course of the meal. Earl, we ought to come up with like a board game for Earl. And just call it Vibe Manager. And everyone has to answer the Vibe Manager. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing if you could do that. Hmm. My buddy, speak, my buddy. Speak of the devil. My buddy started a Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. For a board game. It kickstarted to $2 million. <laughs> Fuck out of here. <laughs> The goal. What was, did he come up with? Candyland Two. The goal was thirty-five grand. <laughs> Get the hell out of here! I've never heard of anybody who had a thirty-five thousand dollar goal and went to two million. And they made a big deal about the movie. They got the two million dollars. And he banks it up to two million for a role-playing board game. A role-playing game. He was a guy you knew in high school. Yeah, no, I've known him since freshman year of high school. When's the last time you got in touch with him? Maybe like a year ago or something. Give him a call now. <laughs> Say, dude, we decided how we're splitting up this money. Who's getting paid what? I saw a post on Facebook. Like, holy, sh- holy shit! I can't believe it. I got you know my Kickstarter is up to you know like a million nine or something, or about to break two million. I'm like, wait, wait. this has to be spam. That's my was my immediate thought. He's got his fucking it's like shit one of those ass. things from home. Yeah. It's like this is some sort of thing, like, yeah. I made $2 million just surfing online <laughs> and clicking things. And I click on it, and it goes to Kickstarter, and it's fucking for real. He got picked up and wired, and they... And I'll do it for you. And, I, I mean, I was just trying to figure out, like, this is $2 million. Like, this is uh, what is the game show? Is it trivia? It's not trivia. It's like a role-playing game that deals with, like, miniatures. Like, tiny oh. little miniatures. And they're very elaborate. And it's like it's like th- that whole miniature culture can get pretty crazy because there was like this this board game that's pretty popular called Warhammer and it's all about miniatures like tiny little miniatures that you also you paint and it's like really into collecting the actual miniatures themselves and I was reading into this and talking to him about it and like he like went to, he got like some artists to start printing out these tiny little models with 3D printers and they're like super elaborate and they're fuck it's really crazy looking and then he kickstart throws up on Kickstarter and two million dollars. So people later. just looked at his miniatures in the game. Um and we should just, link this on the iBank. What's the name of his game gonna be? It's called a Kingdom Death uh Monster. God, I feel like I could come up with something that good. And he created this board game and it's fucking Kingdom Death Monster. Kingdom Death Monster. And he's, there's some fucking titties there. Let me say. <laughs> like this man's like, so this is scary. Oh, clip. dude, I Asian fucking women. forgot to tell you this. I saw it yesterday. <laughs> I'm coming down 57th Street. Yeah. And right next to, at 57th and 6th, there's one of the great old clothing stores. 
there. I think it's the one from Arthur, where Arthur was caught stealing a tie. Um, Bergdorf Goodman. Thank you very much, Fez. Right next to it, there's this big setup. It's the Game of Thrones. Oh, Game shit. of Thrones has taken over, and all the stuff is there oh, that you can go into for free. Holy shit. I want to go see the Game of Thrones I know, shit. and the door was wide open, and I could have walked in, and it was like HBO's Game of Thrones. But it was like the really cool thing. You know how they like etch in the store's names in the marble on the side? Yeah. They had somehow done it with Game of Thrones. I don't know how. Oh, that's awesome. So you you got to go up there. It's only until April 3rd. It'll be gone. I guess HBO is just putting it on for a little while. But I oh. thought you fuck I'm so mad. I wanted to tell you that yesterday. Oh my god, I gotta go check out the Game of Thrones. Yeah, I got forced to walk in yesterday <laughs> and it threw off my whole day. But then that uh nice thing ended up taking place. That's sick. And I went in there and they made me a magician. Really? All right, I made up that part. Oh. But this guy, your buddy with the board game, if we played his game we'd have to act like we were magicians or something. I'm not I possibly I'm not, I don't think it's like totally hardcore uh, role playing. Did you play Dungeons and Dragons growing up? No, I did not play Dungeons and Dragons. I would have had I find, found like minded people, but mm -hmm. I didn't hang out with anyone else who played fucking Dungeons and Dragons. Every time that I played, I became a dragon and burnt the other people. <laughs> and I won every time. And I said, if I can't be a dragon, I'm not playing. Because I don't want to be a dungeon. And they let you be a dragon every single. Well, see, you're not, you're not a dungeon. There's a dungeon master who runs the game. In my game, I play dragon master. Okay. I played and I won every time, and I was the dragon master. And I think one of the reasons that I, I won, uh, the other three players were infants. See, yes, yeah, so the infants aren't going to be able to play that well. They couldn't even roll a die. Hmm. A lot of dice rolling. One of them swallowed a dice, and I believe choked to death on it. That's not good. I don't judge. I'm not like you, buddy. Well, that's a dead baby on your hands. My name's Sam Elliott. See, there was a DC. <laughs> what did he say? What did? I'm sorry. I'm just gonna get right back to that. But what did he call it? Somewhat Sam Elliott, or obviously Sam Elliott in that thing? Yeah, yeah. It's obviously Sam Elliott. I am obviously <laughs> Sam Elliott. Clearly <laughs> Sam Elliott. All right. What did you say, Fuzz? There was a DC Comics game. Like this thing that your buddies put up. It was called Hero Clicks. Hero it was, Clicks? It was like really tiny DC Comics action figures, like Batman, Superman, obviously, and you could role play with those. This is great. We're getting a chance to talk about Batman. We should talk about wrestling and gays, too, and get the trifecta down. I'm pretty sure my boy's straight. No, he is. He lets himself be called my boy. He's obviously gay. No. But yeah, so $2 million, now he's a fucking real baller with a fucking crazy goddamn... He ought to stuff that in a fucking bag and head out of here. And said, you know what? I couldn't do it. I don't know how to make a game. It's hard. <laughs> I think technically you could do that because these Kickstarter things are weird. Yeah, it's up to you what you do yeah, with it. They, they, they take their, their cut, which is like, I don't know, 10% or some, something of the actual... 10%? I think it could be as high as 10%, yeah. They gotta, he's got to hand up $200,000 to these fuckers. I think so. I'd be furious. He's still, still got a fucking mill eight. Shit. Still, yeah, some uh, some ladies got in trouble now because she uh, she tried she started a Kickstarter for her daughter, and it uh, for like eight hundred bucks. Don't call me daughter. Then it jumped to twenty two grand, and people started like fucking wondering, like, wait a minute, 
this this is this little fishy. So they started looking into this mother who started this uh, Kickstarter to send her kid to a, a game camp, and they found out like she's been taking pictures with Warren Buffett, and that she uh, she sold Kinkos dot com to Kinkos, so and, you know, implying maybe she's like a fucking cyber squatter. So now they're investigating, like just people on the internet just found this weird. And they're now they're looking into the Kickstarter campaign to get the money taken away from her and her daughter. They think it's a scam. They think she scammed twenty two grand off people. It's about well, eleven. I guess. I mean, if it is a scam, it's fucking great for her. I guess. It's great for all of us. Well, it sucks for people who fucking put the money and thinking they're sending a little girl to a game camp, and instead, that's better than sending to a uh, cancer camp. Well, yeah, cancer camp's terrible. I don't think those actually exist. There's cancer wars. Yes, there's cancer camps where they go run away for the summer with other kids, and it's like great for them. Oh, really? Yeah. How did you not know about this? Wait, you ever wait, hear wait. of somebody called Paul Newman? Every that he did, would always do the hole in the wall gang. They round up all the cancer kids and have them play with each other. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. It's your chance to go out and camp and stuff, and then you have all the things that you need, like if you were going to be in a hospital. So it's like a summer camp. Oh, that's nice. Put up Hole in the Wall Gang. You got it? Come on now. Paul Newman. It's a fantastic thing. It's one of the best charities in the world. Oh, look at this. Oh, little kids and fucking... Yeah, it's been around for your entire life, so way to finally get on it. Um, I'm a bad person. What's the next thing you're going to find out about muscular dystrophy? What? Is that real? Oh, God. <laughs> I know about that, Master. Here you Don't call me Walter. They smoke weed to alleviate the uh, problems. Yeah, weed helps with everything. It does. Montel Williams has MS, and he fucking smokes weed constantly. Montel okay. Williams is a fucking stoner since day one. That motherfucker was smoking years before he got MS. Yeah, but the, the smoking the herb helps him feel better with the MS. Deal with the. Do, 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 do. Motel Williams. I love that show. Oh my life. I host a morning talk show. He is a fucking stoner who just happened to, later in life, got MS, which I believe he caught from pot. No. Don't say that, because then I'm heading towards MS town. You ever see how many sick people are, sick people are smoking pot? I think that's where it comes from. I uh, I try to get tickets to a fish show. I try to get like the handicap tickets because handicapable. Go they, ahead. They don't sell out as quickly as the regular tickets. And so I'm on the phone with the people, and they're like, "All right, so which, why are you handicapped? Why do you need these tickets?" I said, "MS." Oh my God! You just jinxed yourself and wished it upon I, you. I panicked and just—that's the first thing that popped into did, my head. Did you get I didn't the tickets? Take far, that hard. I didn't did you get the tickets? Yeah, it was. That's up, dude. That's the fishes. It was like their what, 25th anniversary show in Boston. So how long ago was this? This was a few years ago. How many is a few? Hold on, let me see. Let me. All right, fish. Why I knew you? No, it was before you. Before. Okay, good. It was when I was in college. Because I would have fired you in a fucking heartbeat. So did you have special seating? Yeah, but I, I didn't stay in that seating. I was wandering around the whole venue. Of course you didn't stay in that seating. You had nothing in common with those people. That's a fucking harsh they, vibes, dude. He was surprised because everyone else brought their own chair from home. He didn't even have one. I should have just said I broke my leg. That would have been the, the normal person thing to do. But just MS. I don't think you can say I broke my leg. Give me a fucking handicap. Well, I, well, you know, I can't... Oh, I stubbed my toe. You mind if I sit in the second row? I'm in a wheelchair. Fuck it. I need to, I, I'm a paying customer. No one who breaks their leg gets in a wheelchair. That's like mocking people. No, no, well, I mean, I'm talking about the You whole get an air cast. 
Yeah, the whole lot. The whole yeah. leg. Like I really broke my fucking leg. So let me get these. You know what you broke today? My heart. It was. I didn't like. Wasn't malicious. I was. Dear diary. Today's the day I found out Chris Stanley is not a good person, but he's an awful person and malicious. Not. Not malicious. P S S. Doesn't that sound like piss? It's a good show. (laughs) I would be too guilt-ridden to enjoy that show. I didn't feel much guilt. I think there were still more, you know, seats available for the handicapped capable. Thank you for saying capable. Because they're capable of doing anything. I'm learning better. I'm learning better how to not offend people. Are you also bragging about getting four medals in the Special Olympics? No. Who do you think I am? G-Money? It was uh, 11 It was eleven two oh three. Okay. The fish anniversary show at the Fleet Center. So your thing was you were still fucked up from 9-11. It was only a couple years before. Thank you. I was at SUNY Purchase. Shit was weird. I was like, I really got to see fish. Fucking the towers fell. What year did you graduate high school? Two, th- 2001. Like Arthur C. Clark. Thank did you. Did you guys think about that your whole time growing up? I was, uh, We're going to be in the 2001 class. In 2000, we thought uh, about it. Fish to a version of that song. <clears throat> that should have been your graduation song. It was, and it was like, um, I think I could fly or something. You know, Elvis used to come out to that song, and he would come out just beating bones on the fucking thing. He was just like a yeah. fucking lunatic. Um. But I would have been thinking that, about that from, like, third grade on. It, di- it didn't occur to me until 2000. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, holy shit, wait a minute, we're the real millennium class. That's nice. Let's smoke a blunt. That's good. That's they say 2000, zero, zero, party over, oops, out of time. Give it to me. Mm. Won't you give it to me? Uh-uh. All right, uh, I promised earlier that I was going to go over this uh, so-called rounds of this bracket that, you know, I don't want to say it got, you know, it got fezzed, but I don't know what else to say. But the tournament. Yeah, great living directors. Of when the, hey, don't worry, I got it. I've got it. I still haven't even seen the brackets up there yet. Let me wait him out, and he'll move on. I'll wait him out until he moves on. Just wait till round three. I think it's so funny right now. The shape of his little career is in. Got him. No. Uh, Anyway, in this tournament. Turn. To everything, turn, turn, turn. Even directors, turn, turn, turn. This Pope is crazy to drive around. I'm looking up on the thing right now without a nice big thing of bulletproof plastic around Man, him. I love, he's asked. I don't want to say it. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't even think it. I love. I like. I like that he's out there and he's amongst, amongst the poor. And Did you see that he got rid of his nice pad and he's living in a one bedroom shack? It's great. I, he gets it, rid of everything. It's amazing. It's it's refreshing. He called Buenos Aires himself to cancel his newspaper. Hold on, is that Earl up there? No, Attractive Earl? No, that's not Earl. 
What was your fact, Fez? He uh, called and canceled his Buenos Aires newspaper himself. That was a good fucking fact. I love it. Did he really just do that? He did the blow up at me. Yeah, blow it up. Yeah. All right, there you have it, folks. He canceled his Buenos uh, Aires newspaper. And that's fucking ripped straight out of the headlines. That's just ripped drunk. That is no bullshit to it. Ripped. That is straight ahead. Yeah. Coming at you. Mm-hmm. Mm. I also want to put, point out that Bob Boone was a catcher. Except for when fucking Steve Carlton pitched and fuck you, sit on the bench, Boone. <laughs> Tim, fuck, I hate that. I can't even think about it. His full-time catcher is now still making money off TV. Wow. Tim McCarver. I don't know whether he used to fucking just rat hole Carlton's fucking dope for him, but I don't know why he needed that man with him. Who knows? That's a strange one. Well, McCarver just dominates television. That was his catcher and also used to fucking carry his bag to the airport. <laughs> McCarver, grab that fucking bag in there. Oh, and don't forget my chocolate-covered peanuts. Carver's the worst. Well, I don't know. After that book came out, looks like Lenny Dykstra's. <laughs> no, I, even still. Leaving shit in the toilet for other people to yell at. I, they I, claim massive amounts. I find that strange. But still, I'd rather have him fucking So when you say things. you're out looking for some strange, that's what you're talking about. I'm trying to look, find the biggest pile of shit I could possibly fucking do. You're disgusting. With. All right, I said go over these. Uh, Marty Scorsese beat uh, David Fincher by 86%. All right. Milos Foreman beat Spike Lee by 64%. Therefore, Scorsese will now be taking on Milos Foreman. Fez, would you uh, move both their names over in the brackets there? I'll slide them over. Where And what? Uh, the imaginary brackets. Oh, these are real brackets. Scorsese will be playing, taking on Milos Foreman. And that'll be in the Sweet 16. That's true. That'll be in the Sweet 16. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola against J.J. Abrams. Stomp job. Good. Coppola wins it. Good. Coppola deserved that one. Ridley Scott beat uh, Rodriguez by 87%. Good. So it's Coplay against Ridley Scott. That's good. That's a fucking good fight. Spielberg crushed Spike Jones. Yeah. And David Lynch beat Christopher Guest by less than 1%. So Spielberg wow. will be taking on Lynch. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, uh, more than 2 to 1, beat Mike Nichols. And P.T. Anderson dominated Brian De Palma. It's Soderbergh against Anderson. Woody Allen beat the dog shit out of Sam Raimi. This one surprised me. Clint Eastwood crushed Christopher Nolan 61%. I would have thought we had enough fanboys in here who loved their Batman. No, Eastwood's, Eastwood's too too strong. He's too strong. He's had he's fucking had too many great films. I understand that, but I'm just going by the the uh, the fanboy thing. 
Uh, I'm going to come back to all that. Terry Gilliam beat up on uh, Barry Levinson. Wes Anderson beat uh, Danny Boyle. So it's Terry Gilliam against Wes Anderson. Wow. The Coen brothers, second week in a row, had a 97% win <laughs> over Gus Van Zandt. I wish we would have worked a little more harder on seating here because it's just crushing. There's no upsets, I don't think, so far. Oliver Stone beat the hell out of Cameron Crowe by 66%. So it's Coen Brothers against Oliver Stone. Tim Burton beat uh, Roman Polanski. And Quentin Tarantino, a 93% win over Darren Aronofsky. You would have thought that would have been a little closer. So I'd say Soderbergh over Nichols. Is an upset. I, I I I figured Nichols had it. Here's the thing. I don't think people remember Nichols. I think any younger people don't know exactly what films that he did. Then like they, The Graduate is not going to hold that place. It has to. Then if you're a young person and haven't seen The Graduate, then you are fucking hurting yourself and everyone else around you, because that film is better than anything Soderbergh has done or ever will do. Thank you. Upset fucking special with Soderbergh. You got time on your side, Soda. Time is on my side. Soderberg. By the way, I think that's one of the greatest openings to any song I ever heard in my life. Yeah, you know what? Go to the. Don't go to a, a TV thing. Go to the record itself. Yeah, I jumped the gun again. Yeah, you jumped the gun again. Here we go. I don't know what it is about that slays me. Let's go over a couple of these. And Fez will have some fun facts for us a little later on. Uh, would you say Marty Scorsese or Milos Foreman? Scorsese. Francis Ford Coppola or Ridley Scott? So that's tough. I love Ridley Scott's films. But I think Coppola has it. I think that's going to be tight. I think Coppola's going to take it. Fez has a fun fact here. What was Ridley Scott's first film, Fezzy? Alien. Does that sound like a question or a fact? When I heard the him go up at the end, I wondered about it. Steven Spielberg or David Lynch? David Lynch has been running this thing. He's like FGCU. Yeah. I bet he's going to run right into Spielberg, and Spielberg's going to take him down. Yeah, Hard. he's going to run into a buzzsaw there. <laughs> David Lynch's first film, Fez? I have no idea. Really? Racerhead. All right, no more fun facts. That ended fun facts for us. 
Um, Steven Soderbergh, P.T. Anderson. The master puts fucking Soderbergh down for what he did to fucking Nichols. You saw, I feel like Soderbergh shouldn't even be there. Anderson fucking takes it home hard. Now, this is going to be a tough one. Woody Allen versus Clint Eastwood. Shit. These are two biggies. Mm-hmm. I think upset special, Clint Eastwood. I don't think it's going to be an upset with our audience. Our audience is anti-Semitic and doesn't get egghead humor. Uh, for me, it's not even close. It's all Woody Allen. But Clint Eastwood will, uh, I'm fairly sure, win this one based on the fact that people are anti-Semitic. Terry Gilliam, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson takes it going away. Even though I love Terry Gilliam, Wes Anderson takes it comfortably. The Coen Brothers and Oliver Stone. Coen Brothers are going to go to an... I say they might drop to 95%, but I think Coen Brothers fucking destroy Oliver. I think it's going to be closer than that, but I don't know how you don't vote for the Coen Brothers. Uh, and then Tim Burton and Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino beat down on Tim Burton. No chance in hell. Burton gets above 10%. Over Quentin. It's, it's, Mars attacks? No. Quentin Tarantino destroys. Jack Nicholson in that movie does my favorite thing when he just does this. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know why. I find it the funniest thing ever in the history of film. A lot of people shit on Mars attacks. I like Mars attacks. I like my ass off at some of it. Great language. Yeah, I think there's really funny stuff in that in Mars Attacks. I think for some reason they were just ready to hand him his ass in those days. You know, like, oh, you've had a lot of successes in a row? Fuck you. That's how America gets. People are dicks. People are dicks and the feet are balls. Let's try to write a fucking song to that. All right, people are dick, dicks and balls. People are uh, are dicks, so their feet are balls. Would be the name of it. All right. Yeah, he just done. Uh, actually, Ed Wood into Mars Attacks. Love Ed Wood. Yeah, then before that was Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns. Yeah, he was fucking. He was hot shit. And even you know it didn't do as well, but Ed Wood was critically loved. Yeah. So they just, they, I'm sure they just love finally. Actually, it's probably my favorite Tim Burton movie. It's a great one. And anyone who doesn't say the same is a girl oh, no. who likes Edward Scissorhands. I'm a Beetlejuice fan. Really? Yeah. I would say that was for children. Love it. You know what else you would love? What's that? Pinocchio. I liked it when I was a little kid. I felt sad. All the kids getting all fucking whacked out. They were like getting drunk and shit, right? Yeah, and then years. they turned into fucking donkeys. donkeys. That fucking weirded me out when I saw it was a kid. And the thing where his dad couldn't find him. There was always stuff on those Disney movies where your parents couldn't find you. Wizard of Oz had that thing, too. That was the scariest scene to me. Dorothy! Dorothy, where are you? And then the fucking, her aunt turned into the witch. She's in an alternate fucking universe, lady. That's fucking true. <laughs> no one ever brings it up. They act like the house actually went there, or Dorothy was knocked out and was confused. No, she was an alternate universe. She ripped through time and space. Makes that, it all the scarier. That, um, 
Tornado. Wait, how do you pronounce it? Tornado. Mm, that's weird. No. It was a black hole. It's weird the way you okay? said it. Okay. Yeah. It was a black hole that she fell into. And then it put her in this weird colorized world with fucking Thank you. little people. See, the colorized was supposed to say, look, you are seeing colors that don't even exist on your planet. Shit, man. That's going to... She, she shouldn't even came back. She should have just stayed there. I felt that way when I was a kid, too. I like, you got fucking three dudes that are all into you, you know. And she's going, going back. Here's what got to me, and this always worried me when I was a kid. I would say to my parents, wait, aren't they still going to kill Toto? And my dad would always say this. Yeah, now it's up those steps, buddy. Oh. Brush your teeth and then straight to sleep. And I go, but what about Toto? He goes, he's already dead. That's an old movie. That's kind of mean. You could have just said. And then my dad believed in truth. Yeah, but what? You could have said the dog's alive. You would have been, you know, not upset. I'm sure. That's why when I was a little kid, my dad always said to me because he believed in the truth, yeah. "Go sit on fake Santa Claus's lap." Well, that ruins the whole fucking thing for you, doesn't it? Didn't. Took a lot of pressure off me. It was 1939 when Wizard of Oz was made, so she's going back to like fuck, probably Depression era fucking farm, which could have been in like. The and Emerald guess City. what? Uh, also, the Nazis are marching at this time, and the U.S. is two years away from being drug into that war. So I'm sure she probably just died in a factory fire making ammunition for the goddamn World War II fucking planes. Yeah, but for the Nazis. <laughs> oh, my God! Fuck, Dorothy! But for all you know, there was a war over there, too. A war of good versus evil. Well, the, the witch I believe that if she stayed there, yeah. she would have turned into the evil witch. That was always my belief. I think she got very comfortable there for a while for wanting to go home so bad when she was getting the makeover and they were redoing the dress and the hair and makeup. She seemed to be very happy there for someone who really, you know, please, just get me home. Yeah, but a makeover is still nice. I mean, it's not like, let's suppose you were somewhere you didn't want to be, right? Uh-huh. But then all of a sudden, someone gives you a great spaghetti dinner. I don't think it's wrong to say this fucking spaghetti is unbelievable. Unless Better than we have back home. Unless you're Joey Gumbo's mom. You shit blood. Never, never with a gumbo, a gumbo, a gumbo. Mm. The important thing is this. Yeah. She did get home, and everybody loved her all the more for it. She could have been hanging out with Oz. James Franco, people. Even though we didn't know it was James Franklin. I didn't see that, film. did you? No, I'm not going to say that. You still never went to see that other shitty movie, The Spring Breakers? <laughs> I never saw it. I I'm going to see that over the uh, our little spring break. I'm the worst. Yeah. I really do want to see it, too. I just I just, I haven't been able to get I haven't been able to get out to the theater. A lot of times I'm trying to figure out if you're the worst or Fez is. I, I, I don't want to be the worst. I strive to not be the worst. I'll give you that. Hmm. I guess I just fail well, maybe constantly. You, maybe you can see it, Spring Breakers, if it's playing in the Budapest fucking Cineplex. Let me, let me see. Budapest movie times. Oh, that's really great. See if Fandango covers them. See what's playing over there. You could probably go see fucking Jaws oh, and no, I, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Kasajak Sabatadon. Uh, oh, fuck. That Spring Breakers good. is playing. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, English subtitled in Hungarian. What the fuck? I'm afraid of Hungarians. <laughs> oh. 
if you take your chick to see Spring Breakers and you're <laughs> while she's trying while she's all pissed off, you're trying to get Barrett Ted off of her. <laughs> it's a great thing for us to do on vacation. See a movie hungry. Here's the weird thing. I bet they have goulash. There's fucking four different films. And then just says Spring Breakers in English. But one of them looks like it's Oz. So that must be it. But you could go see Spring Breakers there. It's fucking funny. You could actually probably go over there, be on a fucking TV show promoting it. <laughs> just call them while you're over, saying, look, I'm available for interviews. <laughs> I'll talk the, about the film. I'll even bring a clip. Here's the other thing that's crazy. You can see Die Hard. Sick. I think the first one. Well, I wanted to see what happened in this latest one. He teams up with his son. Is that the one in Moscow? Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to show that. Mm. That was a quickie. All right, folks. Uh, we're getting ready to wrap this up. Anything else we need to get into, though, Chris, uh, before uh, we get out of here today? I think we're we're fucking I think we're golden right now. They say silence is golden. So maybe after the show today, I'm just going to listen to quiet Oh, I gotta go over and do that uh unmasked program. Yeah. It's on now. Mr. Jim Jeffries. I already got my original question ask him. What's that? Do you like having a TV show and making lots of money? Is that a good thing? I would think it's a good thing. I don't know what Jeffries thinks. Well, we'll find out once I take off his mask. You take it off with that knife. I'll lock, we'll lock the door to the fishbowl and just rip it off. <laughs> How crazy would that fucking be if we like, locked everyone in there and you're just carving the skin off someone's guest's fucking face? Dude, you can't face. even joke about shit like that. <laughs> when you start to have those thoughts, that's what... That's what the Columbine kids started like that. I'm not going to do it. I'm just bringing up a situation that would be insane if it happened. All right, Fez, before we go out, why don't you just say four sentences in a row? Uh, four sentences. The director's brackets, round three. No, but I mean, not, not doing a live read. Just being a person and just saying something that takes four sentences. Uh, one more show, and then we're on vacation, and that's when Chris Stanley heads off to Budapest to see the Spring Breakers. You're doing a summation. It's one sense. Oh, you think that was all just a run-on? I think so. Oh, I, what do I know? What do I know about grammar? <laughs> I don't know shit. You know you got a grammar and a grandpa. They both love you very much in heaven. Oh, it's nice to think about. Grammar! Grandpa! I'm obviously Sam Elliott. Alright, ready? Four sentences. Everyone tune in tomorrow. Would you stop doing the live reads and just be a person like everybody else is talking? I can't wait for the Jim Jeffries Unmasked. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be fantastic. And we'll be airing that on tomorrow's show. You don't see these as live reads. You just did a promo for tomorrow. Oh. Just be a person. Um. I'm expecting Wes Anderson to do very well in the director's brackets. Good promo.
please make sure you play that. Oh, it's over on the iBag.com. It's a whole new round. Come on, Fest. Just be a person. Four sentences in a row. Will you bring us souvenirs back from Budapest? Yeah, I'll figure something Because out. I think there would be probably some very cool things there in their gift shop. And uh, please let me know what they sell in the concession stands at their theater. Oh, I should make it a theater. But if I do, I will let you know. And theater. I hope your girlfriend has a good time. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, guys. See you guys back in here tomorrow. Very special show. Roger Douglas is on the scene. I'm bringing his sidekick, Eastside Dave. Eastside Dave tomorrow, guaranteed for your shitties and comsies. <laughs> uh, that's the end of my show. Donk. <laughs>